Electric bicycles are my jam. I'm turning into a nut for a good e-bike. It's easy to get around, we save gas not driving our car for short trips to the store, and I'm getting a little extra exercise. The folks at Velotrick are sponsoring a series of videos on my channel to show off some affordable e-bikes and help people get up to speed. It's easier than you think, and prices have never been more competitive. You can catch those videos on my YouTube channel, but if you're interested in shopping an e-bike, head over to velotrick.bike slash some gadget guy and look at their road bikes and fat tires. Again, V-E-L-O-T-R-I-C dot B-I-K-E slash some gadget guy. Velatric dot bike slash some gadget guy. If any of those bikes look good to you, you can save an additional $60 off an already low price by using the coupon code SOMEGADGET60, SOMEGADGET60 at checkout. Once again, Velatric dot bike slash some gadget guy and coupon code SOMEGADGET60. And I thank Velatric for being a sponsor on this show. This means we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SDGQA podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. Some Gadget Guy, the SGG of this terribly named podcast series, but the QA question and answer. Now, this is the last Monday of February. And uh, we would normally turn this into a really chill, relaxed, pajama podcast kind of chat. Maybe we'd stray and talk about movies or TV shows or music or something else. But MWC is in full swing. So I'm going to move our pajama podcast to the first podcast of March. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I, I need to take a break. I, I, I need those pajama podcasts just to kind of give my brain a rest. But we'll do March because this week, a follow-up to the Reddit story that we talked about a while back and, of course, another round of layoffs and some really concerning trends hitting journalism. And then with MWC up, we've got all kinds of fun new gadgets to hold up and talk about. I can finally show them on camera. I've been under embargo for a while. I've been using these things for a bit. So, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Uh, folks, everybody, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you had a lovely weekend. Uh, here, the fam, uh, Leslie is starting her very first season of softball. And this weekend was her first two-game weekend. So she had a game on Saturday and a game on Sunday. And it's kind of adorable because, you know, like, Saturday, the girls are all raring to go. There's this huge energy of these little kids swinging bats and throwing balls. And it's kid pitch, too. Like, 8- to 10-year-olds are whipping the ball, like, 20, 30 miles an hour. It's insane. Um, but then Sunday rolls around for Game 2. Both teams, man, those those girls were dogging it. <laughs> they were tired. It's a wonderful, like, experience as a father getting to kind of see that from the other side. I remember playing in Little League. I remember playing baseball. I remember all of those experiences as the player and now getting to kind of sit in the stands and see how, how the kids are kind of interacting with the game. It's something so simple, like baseball and softball. It's so simple and it's so wonderful to kind of see like that educational opportunity. You're there to back up your team. It's not just you. You've got to support. You have to be in the right place at the right time. It's, it's, it's really lovely. I really enjoy it. So we, we spent all that time, and, and hopefully, 
it sounds like we're going to get another round of rain. It rained again last night, and there was, like, this, like, kind of trickly mist this morning. I, I am usually the guy who is all about rain in Southern California, and I gotta say, I'm starting to get worn out. I, I, I mean, like, in the, the romantic side of my brain, I look at places like Seattle and think, oh, how lovely, gray, cloudy skies, and oh, just that, that like, kind of fog to the air, and you're like, oh, no, I am a Southern Californian. I, I need sun. It's slowing down all of my camera reviews. <laughs> Even in the middle of winter, I can usually do camera reviews, except not this year, because the climate will destroy us. <sighs> so... Um, hey everybody, we've got a great crew of faces here. Ike's Tech Talk, Gabaletta, J-Man150, Al Sabakli, Kapakash, got Barry Johnson, uh, whom I'm missing, T-Bubs, David Lockwood, uh, some other folks. <laughs> what you look I at sounds fine to me. So here's, here's part of the problem, is Juan is still trying to cover MWC stuff. All of my embargoes are set to Barcelona time. So I'm up late at night, technically accidentally broke the OnePlus Watch 2 embargo if you follow on the Patreon. And uh, then I have to wake up early to make sure that everything is going out when it should. So I'm getting these windows of sleep. And uh, that means that this show is also going to be really diversion heavy. It's going to be very easy to get me off track. Let's get into some housekeeping. How about that, guys? Uh, last week was really busy. I put out a lot of stuff. We started off last week because I wanted to prime an editorial to talk about folding phones and some of these other form factors. We've been getting a lot of news recently. Companies like Oppo might be pulling out of the foldables. Then they said, oh, no, we're not pulling out of foldables. But one of the critical things that, that is lacking from a lot of that conversation is these companies are saying we aren't leaving the foldable market, but then they're not detailing tablet that folds into kind of a sandwich phone, or is it a clamshell phone? Just because it has a bending screen doesn't mean we know what their strategy is. So unfortunately, while Oppo is saying like, hey, no, we're still in it, I totally believe they probably have products in the pipeline. It's not a guarantee that we're going to see Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4 of phones like the OnePlus Open. Maybe... Uh, in this year, instead of having a folding mini tablet, they go to a clamshell OnePlus, right? Kind of a flip style phone. That's, that's what we're trying to get a handle on. So when we talk about these strategies and we're looking at what form factors make sense for the right consumers. So I'm trying to find ways to broach that. And it's just sort of a talking editorial, but it, it, it's the same problem I have with phones in general. We talk about smartphone as if it's one basic thing that lets you scroll TikTok. Instead of saying, this is a phone that focuses on gaming. This is a phone that focuses on productivity. This is a fashion phone. Uh, that, that's where we started the week. Then Microsoft totally shocked me. And this is one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later, so I won't talk about it too much right here. But um, they released a free offline AI generative fill eraser tool built into Windows Photos. And the first place to really get a handle on it is Windows on ARM machines. While I put that video together, I was also working on this bad boy right here, which we'll be talking about in the gadget block, the Xiaomi 14, uh, the smaller of the two international phones coming out from Xiaomi. And then I had to stay up late and finish editing this video. This video I put together so fast um, was the uh, OnePlus Watch 2. So uh, we got a lot of announcements coming out of MWC. We've got a lot of news to cover. And 
the gadget block is going to be really heavy. So who wants to knock out some really depressing tech news? Hooray! Okay, so uh, housekeeping was an abysmal failure. We'll move on. Um, I have been... So first off, sorry, normal patter. Every article that we're going to be talking about, all of the links, everything will be in the show notes for this week's episode on somegadgetguy.com. Excuse me, as I got a coffee burp there. So the, um, the, 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 the conversation that is very aggravating right now, we've all been seeing an incredible number of layoffs. Like as we started 2024, we're already catching the number of tech industry, game industry, and journalism layoffs that we saw at the end of last year. I am going to try and abbreviate this, but it's a really complicated story. I say this a lot, but I don't know that I've meant it more in the last several months. With all of the links that will be in the show notes for this week's episode, I'd really appreciate it if you, uh, if everyone watching now and then, of course, for the replay crew, read these articles. There's a lot of really insightful and also some painful commentary that's coming out that affects all of us. If we're fans of tech and we're techies and we really, really dig into this stuff, how we get our information is crucially important. Um, we can try and end run around massive big tech companies and publications and search engines. But after a point, these algorithms are designed to ratchet engagement. They ratchet time on site and they do it by any means necessary. And lately that's coming at the expense of good, consistent tech journalism and tech reviewing. That's hitting everybody, but especially in our neck of the woods, it's never been more critical that we get good information on these products, that outlets are empowered to take the time and spend the money to do their jobs properly. But that's not what's happening right now. So when we, when we start, I, it, this story from uh, Boing Boing, it, all of these stories have been covered around the web, but these are the links that I caught first. So I caught this first from Boing Boing. Panicked Vice staffers warned to back up stories and execs won't deny rumors that it's shutting down. When we've got news outlets that are being covered by sites like The Hollywood Reporter, um, that is a very anxious situation uh, to, to, to be looking at how all of this is going down. But essentially what Boing Boing is covering here is... Vice is laying off a ton of people, and they're shuttering Vice.com. And instead, they're going to go to some kind of mixed distribution platform where they still have reporters on staff, but there is no home for Vice content like there used to be. They'll just license that content out to other sites. That doesn't sound disastrous, but having been on the other side of this with a couple of different websites where we start trying to pivot away from just doing the work ourselves, but you start pulling in content from other sites or the opposite where, oh, I'll make this thing. And then that kind of lives on someone else's site. It's a really dangerous place to be. And not too long after we got a follow-up story. This one's coming by way of uh, The Verge, written up by Mia Sato. Um, Yahoo lays off the leaders of Engadget. Now, this number doesn't sound terrible. Ten people at the outlet are losing their jobs, and the editorial staff will be split into two sections. So not a lot of 
people are losing their jobs. But when you dig into the contents of that story, like I said, I really want you all to follow up and read these articles um, from the links. When you follow up on what their strategy is, they're stapling together their sort of news and journalism guys with their product and affiliate link management guys. So the strategy for Engadget is we've gotten rid of some of the site's leaders and some of the people that are really responsible for managing the site as it stands today. And moving forward, our reviews and editorials are all going to be under the purview of the people that are running the affiliate side. So both of these stories are kind of the opposite aspects of how do we monetize news in the year 2024? And one side is, well, we'll just sell off uh, sort of like syndication deals. You know, like when you see like a local TV news broadcast and like a new anchor shows up, but really that, that anchors out of like Washington state, but they license out their news feed to a whole bunch of smaller um, uh, news stations across the country. That's kind of like what I feel Vice is trying to do. They're going to make this story. They're going to they're going to produce this story, but then hopefully sell it in some kind of syndication style deal. I I think that's really dangerous. The other side of this, the Engadget strategy of this is, well, we'll just kind of keep blurring the lines on reviews and standalone like listicles, like top ten best things to put on your phone or. Seven excellent cameras for your summer holiday. You know, like these sites have the authority. They've built up these incredible reputations as journalism engines. And now both of them are kind of scaling back on their own presentations and instead banking on their reputation, kind of selling more stuff instead. Now, I bring this up because there is an incredible. Uh, and and I, I, I'm kind of spoiling the, the main over sort of uh, larger talking points on these stories. But this write-up from Housefresh is fantastic. I have complained a lot. I am a small-time content creator. I've got a medium-sized YouTube channel. I'm a gun for hire for other websites and outlets and reviewers. My work this year has been a little lean on some of the other platforms that I usually collaborate with, in part because everyone's getting rid of money to hire people like me. Housefresh, they review like home goods, you know, like appliances and stuff like that. And they wrote up their experiences, how Google is killing independent sites like ours. Now, I am super bitter when I talk about my own experiences getting savaged by the YouTube and Google search algorithms. I have a whole bunch of social media try-hard gurus. Well, what you need to do is make a more engaging thumbnail, or have you considered making content that your audience will engage with? You can't just make anything. Maybe no one wanted to watch your video about a tripod. doesn't matter that you've got a bunch of people that follow you for photography and videography and your camera reviews. They probably don't care about photography accessories. And I'm really putting on as much snark on that as I can because I have so little respect for social media gurus. The people that are like, let me tell you how to run your social media business when their numbers aren't that great. (laughs) I want to see like if you're really as good as you say you are about making other people's content blow up. I'd love to see that same kind of effort on your own stuff. Uh, But I digress. Let me briefly page through this. 
because House Fresh is not just complaining like I am. I share an anecdotal experience saying, hey, I don't believe with over 150,000 subscribers that if I put out this video that less than 0.5% of my audience is interested in this topic. That's the kind of data I get because Google is a total black box. And if I share too much about my YouTube metrics, I could get a channel strike. So it's also a punitive relationship with YouTube. But HouseFresh isn't playing that game. HouseFresh has written a couple thousand words on the current state of this AI generative search affiliate marketing nonsense from outlets that don't really do the work to properly review products, hire out their reviews where all of a sudden you see the exact same stock photos of the exact same appliances in multiple sites, uh, reviews and pages and listicles. And then they're just kind of linking in Amazon garbage. So when you really do test the products, they're not very good but they're in this listicle from a massive magazine website just because they got a really good commission rate on their, on their affiliate links. Completely different websites like Better Homes and Gardens and realsimple.com, exact same lab testing these air purifiers. You know, a little air purifier fan that lives. I'm only scrolled about halfway through this, this write-up. They've got data, they've linked examples, They've tracked down the photographers responsible for the stock photos in these listicles and these affiliate link articles. And then they also point to the trend data from YouTube search. So as more and more of these sites have been gobbled up by big tech bro money firms, they've ratcheted down on the actual quality of the editorial. But they're still banking on the brand reputation of a better homes and gardens. So if you're running a smaller, if your website is house fresh and you actually review air purifiers, Google is going to rank you so much lower than a magazine site like better homes and gardens. So you can't get good content out in a, in a, um, in a, an environment like that. All those social media gurus, you just got to put more effort, you could make better content, and then it's going to be, you can't better content your way out of an issue where the gatekeeper search engines are preventing you from reaching your audience. There are thousands of words in this article, and I need you all to read all of them. (laughs) The examples are so clearly cited. The, uh, the resources are so clearly detailed. Tracking down the editorialists and the photographers who supply this content to all of these different websites is spot on. And then, because we're talking, the HouseFresh is like a home goods kinds of site. So that might not be your bag. You might not care about like microwaves and air purifiers and like dehumidifiers and stuff like that. But there is an industry that reviews those home good products Just like we talk about smartphones and tablets and laptops and smartwatches. And we need to know that because we are techie and we are tech savvy, we are not immune from the same kind of search engine manipulation of content separation and and destroying the relationship between the reviewer 
and the audience unless you already had millions of subscribers or if you're on a massive TV channel. You know, CNET gets bought out by CBS. Well, that's legitimate. Let's make sure we put them up. But then the executives at those businesses are going to say, well, hey, we're still getting a ton of traffic here, but we're making less money on this kind of content. What if we just strategized on all of these new affiliate? What if we, what if we created an entire arm of our website that was just good deals? People care about good deals, right? And I used to do a lot of work with slick deals. So I feel like there is an editorial firewall between a review site and a deal hunting site. In fact, that was one of the biggest arguments I had while I was producing over at Slick Deals is I didn't think we should, we should have been responsible for making review-style content. I, I still produced some videos with them. I think we did like an AirPods Pro video. I don't love how that was finally edited down where a lot of my criticisms of the AirPods Pro 2 were removed from, uh, from the script that we shot. But the main crux of Slick Deals was finding the good deals. You know who I don't need to show me the good deals is a news site that claims to be an authority on tech like CNET. (laughs) This is one of the most important and one of the most pressing issues that we face in any form of review and commentary. And this is exactly why we see, especially here in North America, such a vice grip on only the most trendiest of trendy topics getting discussed. And this is why is I've got folks in here who are incredible, incredible tech reviewers, but they're not getting early access to those products. They don't have the special buddy-buddy relationship with Apple. See, Apple doesn't need to pay for a massive YouTuber to talk about their products, but they will give that massive YouTuber early access Because then they get an exclusive window at the most profitable time to be talking about that product. So I just came off of embargoes. I had the Xiaomi 14. I've got the OnePlus Watch 2. I have another product under embargo that we'll be talking about very shortly. I am in favor of new FTC rules. I would love to see a new kind of disclosure to say, I was given this early. I was able to use it and talk about it before consumers could buy it, and that is a monetary advantage, please weigh that in your consideration of my review of this product. Because after a point, if you only see the same 10 guys talking about Apple before a product is available for consumers, those 10 guys make bank on being early. And now, Google is even further turning the screws to smaller websites, smaller platforms, and smaller reviewers, they're just not popular enough. You know, if they were more popular, they would rank higher in Google search. But now you're getting garbage information. Now you're getting reviews of air purifiers that are terrible, but you know what? They're on this really great listicle buying guide from Better Homes and Gardens. Better Homes and Gardens ranked it like number four, and it's a really inexpensive way to, you know, purify the air in your home, except that it doesn't work. They just got a huge commission on their affiliate link for it. So it's not any good data. It's not any good resource. So um, I needed to get that off my chest. (laughs) There's so much cool stuff happening at MWC. And last week, I I, I need to, to backtrack a little bit. A 
friend of mine has been struggling to find a job. And, uh, he, I mean, he has a job, but he's been struggling to find, like, a better, like, career path job. Not just, like, something that he's paying the mortgage off with. And I got a message from him. He was like, hey, dude, I'm finally moving on. I'm going to be at this place. You know, my business email is going to be this. I'm so excited. And, like, before I could reply to him, I just, I almost broke down in tears. I'm looking at this wasteland of my favorite content creators leaving leaving the conversation, how much I miss, like seeing an Erica Griffin video talk about, you know, screen and display quality, all of these resources that we used to turn to in this kind of middle space and people just can't do it anymore. And hearing one of my friends, and it's not like tech and YouTube content creator stuff. This is just literally someone out there in the job market finally get a win I didn't know how badly I needed to hear someone get a win. That's how dire this has been for so many people around me. And we're all putting on the brave face. We're all sharing our fun selfies on social media. Social media has turned us all into ridiculous performance artists. Like, look at this wacky dance I'm doing. It's going to be so fun, guys. But I need the internet points as any kind of validation that I exist or I have value as a human being. And it's so gross. And it's so, so demoralizing. So I, I get this message from a friend. And in light of that one little kernel of, of joy um, hitting me, all of this news, all of these reporters getting laid off, websites shuttering based on their reputations. These are like... These are not foundational, but these are like core internet resources for us to share and disseminate and talk about news. And at the top of all of this, like I can't blame a a massive YouTube channel for getting the money, right? Someone's got 10 million subscribers and Google wants to pay them because they have a chummy relationship with Apple. To the content creator, I say get the money. But to all of the regulators and the politicians and all of the people in a chat like this, I say... We got to do a better a better job of going after big tech. A search engine should not be able to dictate this much control over how information is disseminated. And when someone subscribes to a channel or a website or some kind of service, that search engine should not be able to gatekeep and prevent you from the content that you subscribe to. And it doesn't matter if it's well, they would get less time on site if they watched what they really wanted to watch. That's the point of a service like YouTube. That's the point of a service like Facebook. But those companies know they can get in between you and the content creator and feed you stuff that will keep you miserable, keep you pissed off, keep you engaging on their site longer. And it's all to the detriment of your mental health. And it's all to the detriment of the content creators that actually fuel their platforms with content. I am so tired. (laughs) Let me take a swig of coffee here and we can talk about some of the comments in here for just a second. Uh, I got to scroll back up because I was on a bit of a tear. Now, thankfully, that was also like three links in one. So we don't have to spend any additional time on that. 
Michael Corcoran. Looks like Sports Illustrated is dying as well, and that was an effing institution. And that one, it, you know, how depressing is it that we can point to Sports Illustrated and say, well, at least that was more of a licensing dispute? <laughs> like, it's still terrible. Sports Illustrated is is an institution. You're absolutely right. But it's like, well, at least it wasn't as cynical. Like, it's not like Sports Illustrated is there to review... Uh, my daughter's in softball. It's not there to review baseball gloves. And then they're only going to give good reviews to their best affiliate-linked baseball gloves. Like, that's not what Sports Illustrated exists to do. But it's still... Like, you take some small solace. That's not why Sports Illustrated is having issues, but it's still having issues, and it makes no sense that these companies can't get together on who owns what part of this license and work out a deal so that everyone can make money. It's the name Sports Illustrated that should be making a ton of money. From Dave Burns, the Vice news story is really problematic. I don't think we need to defend Vice. This is the Jack Welshification of their company. They took on a ton of risky debt and are killing a ton of coverage of non-mainstream topics. Um, <laughs> Diago, so the goal is to be like an Instagram influencer? Good looking, but extremely shallow? I, it, I mean, it kind of has been, right? Look at all of the, the techies that went rushing over into an alternative video sharing service like TikTok. And I can't do short form. I am so bad at it. But after a point, you start getting manipulated by the platform. So, so many of, of, our, of our favorite tech reviewers that tried to build that up started with like, hey, I'm really going to do like news or I'm really going to cover like tips and tricks or really good tutorials. And then after a while, you try just like something silly just for the fun of it. And then you get a reaction. And that kind of trains you to keep doing the other thing. The, the platform is, is, is controlling the flow and the style of content to a point where people feel like, oh, well, I, maybe I do need to do wacky dancing challenges, even though I talk about, you know, uh, headphones and audio gear reviews. Maybe that's what I need to do. <laughs> Dave Burns, one, is actively pooping on me right now. I do this professionally for a company that doesn't listen to me anyway. Dave, I'm so sorry, man. Because I, I know we're we're all adjacent to this as tech fans, but I know a handful of us actually work in industries where this kind of stuff affects us. And we're having these conversations on the regular. I, I, I'm, I, it's nothing against the guys over at pocket. Now that crew was amazing and I loved working with them, but I knew I was the wrong fit for their future strategy. When I started that team to really expand on things like camera reviews, well, you know, the views on this, like, HTC camera review weren't as good as, like, our Samsung camera review. So maybe we only do the in-depth camera reviews for Samsung and Apple, and then we can do, like, a little write-up for, like, uh, I don't know, like uh, an HTC or a Moto. We don't, we don't need to show how they really compare. Uh, we'll just put the, the work, you know, the, the, the effort into just these two companies that make us the most money. And that's when I knew I personally was in big trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, Michael, uh, Michael Corcoran, this stuff is happening everywhere too, not just tech journalism. Local news has basically been dead for years. Virtually 95% of all public meetings are not covered by a reporter anymore. 
in the 90s, when newspapers had 20% margins, there were reporters everywhere in Boston. And I can't tell you, there's, um, there's one guy here in our little suburb of Los Angeles, um, and I see him all over our little town. And he writes for the local newspaper, but he's like the photographer and the reporter and the producer and the editor. <laughs> and you're like, we got a ton of rain and he got a photo of Lex jumping in a puddle. And that, I think that actually made it into like one of the back pages of, of the newspaper. But it's like, I, I think it might just be him running a newspaper. Maybe a couple other people just as like, kind of uh, su- support supplemental staff, but like, that's how bad it is. We should have a local rag. We should have a local paper. And I don't, I don't think we really do. I think we've got one guy. <laughs> um, from Delanbit, I keep hearing that creators are not allowed to talk about their analytics, but why is this? And I wish I could give you a good answer. I have not had what I feel is an appropriate response to why I cannot share or disclose what my relationship is with my own audience. As far as I know, and from what I can dig up on YouTube, if I give out too much proprietary information about how my videos perform or what relationships I have with those videos or, you know, like what kind of marketing and monetization, because I can do my own sponsored deal with another company or I can work through YouTube for ads and, uh, you know, attaching products, linking products for you to buy. And as far as YouTube is concerned, the only reason for my videos to exist is to sell stuff. I mean, that's it. That's all YouTube cares about outside of traffic and keeping people watching more YouTube. But the only thing I can figure is YouTube is worried that if I talk about my experiences on the platform with too much information, then someone might be able to game their algorithm. But their algorithm is already gaming content. It's already manipulating content. And that's why you don't hear about more Motorola news. You don't hear about more Sony news. You know, especially here in the United States, you you rarely see, you have to go out of your way to follow those creators that are going to talk about a Huawei or an Honor or a Xiaomi or an Oppo. That's why my audience only less, actually the last time I checked, less than 30% of my audience was in North America. <laughs> That's that includes Mexico and Canada. <laughs> For an English speaking reviewer, that's ridiculous. An English speaking reviewer based in Southern California, less than 30% of my audience is from this continent. And that's because I have gone out of my way to talk about other products. I make no money on YouTube. I am not profitable from YouTube's perspective at all. So uh, I, I feel when you hear the people operating on this platform are not allowed to share or disclose how they interact with the platform, I feel that should be a pretty big red flag. I feel the proprietary information that someone might glean from that relationship is, would be beneficial for everybody to know. And if they say, I can't share it with you, then I think we've We've detailed what is a, a, a problem of ethics. <laughs> it's again, it's why I don't want us thinking about 
Apple and Google as these, or Microsoft as these monolithic entities. A Microsoft is a loose collection of parts that all operate under an executive leadership. As I'm sav- as I am criticizing and I am savagely disappointed in YouTube and Google search, I am very impressed with their hardware team. I think the Pixel team is doing some really great work. It is not one entity. It is a little I can I can highlight this is a pocket of of performance in the Google umbrella that I think is doing really good work. And then their search and their YouTube teams I think are doing are basically unraveling the social fabric of modern society. I think they're destroying our ability to communicate and to relate (laughs) with each other in a healthy way. So, uh, yeah. Oh, Ike's Tech Talk. Oh, man, I loved Erica's reviews. I had never seen someone go so in-depth with display variants. I miss her so much. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm so heartbroken that like one of the last big pushes that she tried to do was to get a bunch of tech reviewers to collaborate. It wasn't going to be like a union, but she wanted to create a loose network of people we could work together, share information, work back and forth and promote each other's content. And we did one big project. We did the old phone challenge a couple years back, several years back, and it was great. And I think all of us working together at the same time to talk about just like a random old phone in our collection helped signal boost all of our videos. I think all of our videos did better for us loosely interacting than if we had just individually made some videos about random old phones. But trying to get a bunch of YouTube content creators together to really work on this stuff and really follow through and stay consistent, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. That's why I, I, I made and then shuttered my subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. But it took several years for people just to share their own content. And then it seemed to take another couple of years for people to realize like, hey, if I upvote other people's content, then this whole subreddit gets more traffic and then all of our videos do better. And then even then, it it was very much like, well, I posted one thing to your subreddit, and I didn't get a million hits, so I don't understand why I should support your subreddit or talk about other stuff. The subreddit didn't take off until I used third-party tools to auto-populate, like like with RSS feed readers, like old-school, stupid internet tech, to, to post stuff up. And then once I started filling it, and I started getting all the Reddit karma and internet points for it, then we saw a couple other people like, oh, I can share my videos here too. Cool. But, you know, Reddit killed all of those tools, so I can't use any of them anymore. Speaking of Reddit, the other crazy story, this is just a quick follow-up. A couple weeks back, we were talking about Reddit and a company that was once valued at $10 billion. And they're lining up for an IPO. And I don't want to speak ill of a platform. But considering... The tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars, the hundreds actually of millions of dollars that their executives make, while all of the site management and all of the content on Reddit is produced and populated and shared and distributed by free volunteers, while their executives make millions and millions and millions of dollars. I have never wanted an IPO to crash and burn harder 
than seeing Reddit try to go public. They destroyed their reputation and their relationship with content creators. They actively insulted the moderators that helped keep their site running while they patted themselves on the back and soaked up as much investor cash for themselves personally as they could. And we said, they sold off all of your data to an unnamed company for $60 million. That makes zero sense in my brain. Reddit exists as a platform to share information. It's sort of a loose collection of different forums that you can jump into and you can find really great information on like obscure tech problems or reach out to people if you have issues. It's such a great idea. But if Reddit is valued at like $10 billion, that means the information in Reddit is what's valuable. And Reddit sold that off for 60 million bucks. That is not a lot of money when we're talking about a potential valuation in the billions of dollars. Your, your contribution to Reddit, your input, your effort, your, uh, your data is worth so little. <laughs> According to Reddit, Reddit sold it off to cheap. Well, when we first talked about the story, we didn't know who that company was. So now it turns out Reddit sold it all off to Google. This is an incredible deal for Google. Um, I am sharing the Engadget story before Engadget's you know, senior uh, editors and leadership had been laid off. Uh, written up by Carissa Bell, Reddit is licensing its content to Google to help train its AI models. So now all of this information from, from Reddit is just language learning model fodder it's all just getting soaked up by whatever permutation of Gemini, Bard. What were, what are the other, Google just announced like another AI platform for business in, in a dumb name that is replacing another product that they should have just kept the same name from. I, I can't remember. So, um, it's all, it's all pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's all not great. I, I just, I'm shocked. I get it because, you know, Reddit needs to show investors that, hey, we can monetize this data and we can, you know, make money off of this platform. I want it to, I want it to crash so bad. I, I need, I need the karmic justice of here was a cool service on the internet. You dumped money in, into dumb things. You wasted so much runway cash on dumb things. And you paid yourselves ridiculous salaries while profiting off of volunteer labor. And, and I need, I need investors to realize if you sold off all the data to Google, what is the point in investing in Reddit? Invest in Gemini, invest in Google, because all of the data that's going to Reddit is just going to get sucked up by Google anyway. You got rid of all of the third-party apps all of the APIs that helped us manage our subreddits. And now if I have a question and it was answered on Reddit, ostensibly I should be able to get that answer just by going to thegoogle.com and writing a really lazy search question and it should have access to all of Reddit's data and I'll get it for free. <laughs> oh, Al, I miss it too. Al says, I miss glowing rectangles. 
um, from Nation Harris. Doesn't Erica Griffin do YouTube anymore? I didn't uh, really watch her stuff, but I remember her 3DS panel comparisons. Um, I have not gotten an alert. So this is me. Let's, let's see real quick. Uh, Erica Griffin on the YouTube. I really don't know. Um, the last thing I saw, she was talking about Switch OLED, I think. Erica Griffin. And videos. Okay. Yeah, this is sad. This makes me really sad. So um, if you sort Erica Griffin's videos by most recent or latest, her last video was uh, an iPhone 13 lineup um, from two years ago. And we went from a, a woman who would routinely get like two to 500,000 views per video. Um, her last, her last video on the iPhone 13, 42,000 views. So YouTube is punitive. YouTube hurts you if you don't give YouTube enough value in the way that YouTube thinks you should. So Erica Griffin was regularly putting out videos, at least weekly, for years. Built up, I think she had over 800,000 subscribers, regularly getting like half her subscriber count in views for topical videos. Like her, her Surface Duo commentary, I think, was like three or 400,000 views, right? This woman was a monster. And then she took a little time off because she was growing her family. And then she came back to one-tenth the audience size that she would usually generate. YouTube got in between her and 800,000 subscribers. She was no longer on the same style of algorithm. And two years ago, she stopped making videos. This is what's happening to all of your favorite medium to large-ish sized YouTube channels right now. If I take a break, let's say I just need to take two weeks off, get my brain right, where I'm normally now only getting like two to 10,000 views on a video, I'll come back to 200 to 1,000 views. If I ever stop, I'm dead. I'm dead in the water. And there's no way to sustain that. So uh, let me take another quick drink of coffee. Yeah, junkie, 60 million is peanuts. That is nothing to pay for that quantity of user data. <laughs> Dave Burns. Even if you think you can make that up selling ads, Reddit has to make up $9.94 billion in side panel ads. I seriously doubt that, uh, that earlier valuation. So I want to say it was sort of in the middle of the pandemic and sites like Reddit were like just doing tons of traffic because we had to find places to talk to people online. So I want to say that estimation of evaluation was in 2021. I have to believe that after they destroyed their relationship with a ton of moderators that helped keep their sites running, that estimation has to drop. But let's say it got cut in half. Let's say Reddit is looking at like a $5 billion valuation for their IPO. $60 million is not value to shareholders, <laughs> <laughs> when the public offering is somewhere around five 
billion dollars. <sighs> Ooh, that's a very good question. I'd love to hear in the chat. Nation Harris says, what dies first, Reddit or Twitter? Um, unfortunately, no, you know what? I don't know. I don't think either really dies. I think all of them get savaged in the market and then the name gets sold off kind of like MySpace style. Because as far as I'm concerned, the Reddit that I used to live on and the Twitter that I used to live in, they died a while ago. They died when they killed moderator tools and Twitter died when Elon Musk bought it. As soon as Elon Musk bought it, Twitter was dead. The Twitter that I liked, that I used, that I lived in, it was gone. So as far if you're talking about like the philosophies, they're both already dead. But I think both will live on as these like zombie corpse names that um, won't like like we'll find a functional website for a decade to come, but it won't be the service that we really enjoyed. Do 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 do. Oh, T-Bub says Reddit will go before Twitter. <laughs> we'll go BK before Twitter. Um, Gabaletta. I had a customer in long ago tell me that I should do info videos about cars and tech. This is coming from someone who's in their 60s that barely knows how to navigate their iPhone XR. The eye roll could be heard from a mile away. <laughs> I, I, I still feel like there is a value in having this kind of setup where you can talk to audiences and you can contribute and there's still a career to be had here, but it is very different um, than when I came up and I viscerally need to push back against the idea of just investing in a platform. You want my social media guru advice is not to put too much effort into being big on one platform. Because as soon as the platform changes what they care about, you're out of luck. But if you use each of these platforms for kind of what they do well, and then you give yourself your own home base, you have diversified. You are reaching people where they are, and they are t having them come to you where you control the platform. Like, just go get a free website. I don't have a, a link. I, I don't have, like, a GoDaddy or a, a, what's it, a Squarespace. Oh, if you go to Squarespace, you do some gadget guy 72, then you can get a dollar off your next purchase. But no, go get your own site. If you want to do this, have a home base. Have a home base that you point everyone to. And then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the platform for a social media site changes up on you, you still have a place you live. <laughs> you know Google search is not going to help you. Even if you have a killer article about something that hits all of the right trending topics, it's so search positive, AI is going to suck up all that information and regurgitate it in someone else's article, but you still have some control over your little home base. You have a place to live. And I think that is the best way forward to kind of build a review style or commentary style uh, tech, uh, tech channel these days. Hey, podcast listeners. I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. 
Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Yeah, and Dave Burns, this is, this is accurate too. Uh, the model of all of us ta- talking about a hobby and learning right now is becoming less profitable because it takes too long to make a transaction, and so we're seeing the death of hobbyist video content. And that is absolutely true. Like, everything on YouTube is kind of ratcheted towards... Can you immediately sell a product with YouTube's built-in tools to move that product? So, um, moving on. Uh, I got to do the hard pivot here. This this show got, like, a lot darker than I really intended it to. Um, I wasn't planning on spending an, an hour on fixing a microphone and then talking about disastrous tech stuff. But who actually let me let me um let me kind of run this with the chat. Who would like to chat OnePlus Watch 2 or who would like to chat Xiaomi 14? Uh and we can we can kind of move into the fun stuff that we uh, that I've actually been using here cuz uh both have incredible things to talk about, some crazy features that I was not expecting on either of these products to be as good as they were and uh I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised by both. So do we want to start watch or do we want to start Xiaomi 14? All right, I'm starting to get some votes. I'm seeing Jonky say uh, Xiaomi 14, Cake Batter, OnePlus Watch 2, Simon Says Hypno, OnePlus Watch 2, Cedric Owens, OnePlus Watch 2, Coppa Cash, how about both? Coppa Cash, you got to do better than that. Watch 2, Watch 2, Watch, Xiaomi 14. Okay, we're going to start with the Watch 2. We're going to talk about both. I promise we're going to talk about both. I have... Oh, I put the box way up high again. So, this is the box for the OnePlus Watch 2. It is currently on my wrist. And it's one of those silly things where every time I show a watch that's actively on my wrist, I feel like I'm just about to flip you off. <laughs> like, look at this watch! Bam! And you're like, oh wait, no. There's a certain muscle memory or a certain muscle pattern of behavior of movement. That That's not a gesture that we should be throwing at people. OnePlus Watch 2. My video went live on it this morning, Monday morning, 7 a.m., where I was up, again, a little earlier than usual, just making sure everything went right with my embargoes. In setting up the Patreon version of the video, instead of scheduling, I just hit publish, and it was like eight minutes early. So if anyone caught that, you got a 10-minute sneak preview (laughs) of the review 
Um, I don't think anyone at Xiaomi noticed that my paywalled version of the video had gone live. But it was just one of those dumb mistakes because, like, I was way too tired and the coffee was brewing. I had not consumed any of the coffee yet. So, the OnePlus Watch 2 is a very good example of a Wear OS watch that might help keep me using Wear OS watches. I, in several videos recently, have been saying I am not, uh, I am very disappointed, I should say. I'm very disappointed in how Google has been managing Wear OS as a platform. But OnePlus is getting around some of that with some very clever uh, solutions. So this watch is beautiful. Stainless steel casing around the side, a really, really lovely sort of bar accent for the two offset buttons, and then a sapphire crystal on top of the display. So this is a $300 watch. And of course, it's a OnePlus, so they've got like trade-in deals and offers, and you could give them like any busted old smartwatch that you, you have. Like I've got a gear here. I might buy another OnePlus watch just to kind of have both versions of the OnePlus watch. But if I do, I'll send them like an old busted Samsung gear. Or, you know what I should do? I, I might need to make this a video. I think I still have... What was the name of that watch? So it was a full analog watch. It was a real analog watch and it had a teeny little uh, ticker display. But it was a smartwatch. You would get your little alerts and notifications on this tiny little ticker display. I, I want to say the watch is probably like ten, eight years old now, maybe 10 years old. What was the name of that company? But I should try and send that in and see, like, am I going to get 50 bucks for this? It still holds a charge. It's still a usable watch, kind of. I don't think, actually, no, I, the app probably doesn't work anymore. Anyway, sorry, I just sidetracked myself there. If, if your watch is non-functional, you can send it in, get 50 bucks off. This is now a $250 watch, stainless steel and sapphire display. And it's got some of the most aggressive tech that I've ever seen in a smart, smart watch. So we always have to break down those differences. Um, you've got watches like, you know, my Mobvoys and the Samsung Gear and the Apple Watch. These are mini computers on your wrist. Then you have other devices. Oh, I'm sorry, and the Pixel Watch. I also have the Pixel Watch over here, too. Way too many watches. Um, do I have, like, where's my... Well, this will work. This is a little RTOS fitness tracker. And then um, I had my AmazeFit over here, too. Where's my T-Rex? I hope I didn't lose my T-Rex. I just have all the little... Oh, there it is. Whew. So this is... Oh, it's dusty. Gross. Um, this is my Amazfit T-Rex. The Amazfit T-Rex gets like weeks of battery life because it's not a full mini computery build on your wrist. So it can't do a lot of the fancier things that we expect from the Wear OS and the Apple Watch, um, like speech-to-text replies. If I'm wearing my Amazfit, I can get the notification, and then I can't really do a whole lot with it. Oh, so it's not Pebble and it's not Withings. Oh, man. No, I, I'm not going to look it up now. I'm not. I'm going to stay on target. We're talking about, we're talking about the, the OnePlus watch. It was, it was a really boutique-y little company back in the days, the early days of the Pebble. And I can't remember, but it was, it was an, it was like the Withings where it was an analog watch face with a little ticker display, but it was before Withings had done that for their own watch line. 
So, um, yeah. Uh, $250 if you can trade in just anything old and busted. You know, you could probably get like, you probably find a watch on like eBay for 10 bucks. It doesn't work anymore. And then you could trade that in and then you'd get like $40 um, sort of on top of what you paid for it. But the, the, the killer technical feature here, and one of the reasons why I'm so excited to see a company do something like this, $300 is a lot for a watch, for a smartwatch. But what's going on here is this is a dual-brained smartwatch. There's a Qualcomm chip that runs all of the Google software, and then there's a secondary low-power CPU that runs a totally separate operating system. It runs a similar RTOS to what was in the first OnePlus watch, and it's very similar to some of the other little fitness trackery watches that we have. Now, the overall combination, the super bright screen, the higher resolution display, the, the fact that it is super fluid even when it's in RTOS mode, you can't get quite the same battery life as a standalone RTOS watch. So like I'm, I'm holding up the, uh, if I'm holding up, I, I just set it down. If I'm holding up a watch like the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the, the T-Rex, you know, they're, they're sort of similar in, in overall size. The T-Rex is a little chunkier. It's, it's a little taller on your wrist the battery capacities aren't radically different. So the T-Rex can run longer out in the field than the OnePlus watch can. But the OnePlus watch can switch. It can switch back and forth between a full-featured computer on your wrist build of Android or, hey, I just kind of want to get notifications and I want health tracking to be managed. And then it's going to run for 12 days on a charge. But even if you don't run it for 12 days on a charge, when this watch falls into a low power state, it's kind of doing the same thing. It switches to the lower performance chip. So this is the longest lived Wear OS watch I think is on the market right now. I got four days of runtime without sleep tracking because I can't really sleep with a watch on. I just, I haven't been able to ever use these for sleep tracking. But I was running this for four days before I got a low battery warning. And the low battery warning happens at 20%. So I could have run for a whole extra day. <laughs> it's so, so nice in Wear OS land. And the closest thing that we have to kind of approximate that is, is, is the Tick Watch, which again uses a uh, sort of an exotic screen to help manage the battery life, the power draw. So it's so difficult moving back and forth where, uh, let me unlock my watch again, moving back and forth where I really like um, sort of the, just the general Pixel Watch experience. And I actually don't mind that it's a little bit smaller, even though I've put my Pixel Watch in a big, rugged, chunky armor bumper case um, just to kind of protect. I don't love the wraparound side glass. I think that makes it more fragile than it needs to be. But the fact that even with kind of my managed use and not doing sleep tracking, I can't really quite get this thing to go two full days. That kind of bothers me because it means I'm always having to find like this window of using the watch during the day, finding a time to recharge it. Maybe I recharge it at night while I sleep. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking about managing the operation of the watch. The Pixel Watch, 
I mean, the, the OnePlus watch, I just kind of use it until I get a low battery warning, and then I have plenty of time <laughs> to find time to charge it, and it doesn't take that long to recharge. So, I mean, iTalks Tech, it's literally the best of both worlds. I mean, that, that should be their ad campaign right there. So, I, I think someone else was asking... Um, I kind of see, okay. Dave Burns, wait, I could trade in my Amaze Fit? You absolutely could trade in your Amaze Fit. And actually, I know $50 is just the, the minimum. Like, any watch in any condition, you will get 50 bucks. But I think if you have like a, a, like a usable or a functional watch, you might get a little bit more cash for it. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how good or how consistent OnePlus's trade-ins have been for stuff like that. Um, let's see. Someone else was asking about how the dual brain worked. I'm sorry. <laughs> T-Bubs, look at this watch. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you say my collection's complete? That's about as much. I just got sued by Disney. I just haven't gotten a letter yet. Um, the thing that I'm, I'm, the thing that I really like. So, doing this as a comparison, I feel like, I feel like there's so much here that invokes Mobvoi, because Mobvoi's big thing has been coming up with Wear OS solutions that they can find ways to expand the battery. And Mobvoi, it's not the same, but there is a Qualcomm chip in here that has a tiny little coprocessor that the Mobvoi watch can fall back to a lower power state. So you can run this watch um, using just the second screen, the second display, as a basic fitness tracker. And it can run for like weeks as a basic fitness tracker and timepiece, but it doesn't have the full-fledged RTOS connection to your phone. So that, that's why I'm so, it, it, it's why I find this such an interesting conversation. The watches that are just sort of straight Wear OS watches to me are a little less interesting. But when I take off the Mobvoi, when I take off this tick watch and I just leave it, after a point it falls into this low power state, you put the watch back on, you log back in because I have a little pin on my watch and it wakes up the Wear OS side of the watch. The same thing happens if you take the OnePlus watch off and say you leave it overnight, you don't use it for a certain period of time, it falls into this kind of like ultra low power state. And then you put it back on, you, you, you put in your pin, it wakes the watch back up and it's great. But during the day, as it kind of falls just into a low power state, as it's on your wrist and you don't have to keep unlocking the watch when it's on your wrist, it just sort of sleeps using less juice. And then you hold your, your, uh, your wrist up and you tap the button and you kind of scroll through their Apple knockoff app drawer and it's, it's seamless. You cannot tell the difference in the worn low power state versus the fully awake Wear OS state. And then if you want, you can just turn this into a OnePlus Watch 1. So you go into your settings and you say, uh, what is it? It's power, power saver mode? Is it power saver? Yeah, power saver mode. So if I push, you can't see, like if I hold it up like that. If I push power saver mode, 
it runs completely RTOS. You lose the app drawer, you lose all of the expanded like speech to text uh, reply features. Um, I don't think it supports payments in RTOS, but you still get all of your notifications. It still does all of your health tracking. It is the smoothest looking RTOS watch that I've ever used. When I'm scrolling on like uh, an AmazeFit or on, um, this is another tick watch. It's a, I can't remember. It's a tick watch pro of some kind. Um, but when I'm scrolling on other RTOS watches, it's usually not the sleekest or prettiest frame rate for the display. We don't lose that on the OnePlus watch. Even though it's RTOS, it's still really, really buttery smooth. It's still really, really clean. So um, I'm, I'm very surprised. OnePlus, they put out a watch, the Watch One. It wasn't that good. <laughs> it really wasn't. It was pretty not great. Um, so I honestly didn't know if they would ever try to revisit that accessory. They've had such good reactions and responses from their audio side, like earbuds and stuff. They came out with this, the OnePlus watch and it's running this fitness trackery kind of operating system. And, and what I think is, is kind of frustrating is in true OnePlus fashion, they gave the watch to reviewers in a very unfinished state. And that always seems to be the only time that reviewers will talk about the watch. I am only going to talk about a OnePlus product when I have exclusive access to their product and before consumers can buy it because that's when I'll make the most money on my video. And shortly after, it gets updates and it gets polished and it gets improved. The experience of living with a OnePlus is never like the embargo review window. It's, it's always better a month or two after the product is out and consumers can buy it. So I genuinely don't know. I never got my hands on the first OnePlus watch. I have no idea if it really got better. Maybe it's a great example of an RTOS fitness tracker. I don't know. It just got savaged in its early review. And I think a lot of people were expecting OnePlus would use Wear OS, and they didn't. And I think they made the right call at the time because we can see what happened to Wear OS in between then and now. But it's like they, they learned everything from that watch and it's still here. It's still in their watch. Low power operating system, lower power performance chip, beautiful screen, outdoor viewable, and then they just improved the overall build quality of the device. So it's, um, it's interesting. This is what is really interesting to me is there are all these things that we need to do to kind of make Wear OS better. <laughs> excuse me comparing this to my pixel watch 2 i guess if you're really into fitbit and it has an ecg where the oneplus watch doesn't have ecg that kind of stuff is going to matter I, that, I get it totally understood but everything else about the watch is just better <laughs> as like a daily driver communicator notification machine fluid interactions applets support services as google assistant I, I don't understand why Google worked so hard to kind of break their relationships with Mobvoi and Fossil. So, um, yeah, it's pretty heavy. Oh, Michael Corcoran, the TicWatch 5 is on sale for $229 at the moment. TicWatch 5 is still 
flipping phenomenal hardware. And I, I have only taken the Tick Watch 5 off because I am using the OnePlus Watch 2. Really is uh, uh, pretty great. Hold on one second. I, I'm, I'm getting fuzzy. Uh, I'm going to go through some of these comments too because there are some other, if there are any other questions, please hit me up with questions. OnePlus Watch 2. Of course, I also have the video. If you'd just like to watch the video, that, that will answer a lot of those too. But I got to take another drink of water here real quick. It would help if I turn my mic back on. All right, lovely. Um, let's see. And I'm scrolling back up, sorry. Um, back to Withings. Michael Corcoran, my tick watch, it's three years old and starting to show its age. It does some weird stuff, but at the end of the day, it always seems to get fixed. I had issues with the tick watch launcher starting to get weird. So on my tick watch three pro, what was that? That was the Wear 3100, I want to say. I can't remember. It would do some some funky things. Like, I would be in the middle of looking at a notification, and then, like, the notification would be sort of on top of some other screen element, and I could reboot it, and then it would sort of fix itself. But I haven't had similar issues like that with the TicWatch 5. Um yeah, Michael Corcoran, it would be hard to adjust to Wear OS without the dual screen tech. Uh, I mean, yeah, there is like the always on display and it kind of goes into that low, but Mobvoi's dual display, that second display is so good in direct sun. And like, you don't need to do anything to wake the screen up. You just look down and you've got kind of an old school Casio style screen and it's so readable. It's what I loved about the Pebble. I don't want a screen like my phone screen on my watch. I don't care about the juicy OLED colors. What I want is the absolute best passively sunlight readable display so that my phone is really good in some situations and my watch is really good in other situations. And the two together mean I'm always covered no matter what kind of situation I find myself in. So cake batter, I've yet to find a smartwatch feature I'm willing to give up battery life for. I need at least five days. And I'm getting pretty close. Again, it depends. If you do a lot of sleep tracking and stuff, then I don't think you would make it that far. If you've constantly got like the always on display on, constantly at max brightness, trying to run it hard on, you know, switching between Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, I think OnePlus watch will probably drop you down to like three days. But that's three days of like, really using it throughout the day, fitness tracking, uh, tracking workouts, hitting the GPS. The dual radio GPS is scary fast. Like I go outside and it's just like blip and it knows exactly where I am. It's a really good upgrade over some of the other watches that I've tried with mediocre GPS. Um, then, uh, but yeah, so as soon as you put a computer on your wrist though, that tiny little watch battery, it's not going to power you for very long. Unless you can make the compromise to step back to more sort of fitness trackery stuff. Um, Kapakash, the OnePlus Watch 2 looks like the perfect replacement for my Galaxy Watch. And the only reason I don't tag Galaxy Watches as hard in these kinds of review com uh, comparison conversations is it still bothers me that Samsung locks away features like ECG. So if you're not paired to a Galaxy phone, you don't really have the full 
watch experience. The Pixel Watch, as long as you can install the Fitbit app, I don't believe there's anything locked to the Pixel Watch that you can only use with a Pixel phone. And so, I, 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 like to me, it is a very nuanced, it's a little sliver of information that I feel is, is critically important. Where this watch only does what everybody says it does if you pair it to this line of phones. And if you want to own a Galaxy watch and use it with a Moto, understand that you're either going to miss some features or you have to install like a cracked APK with your personal health information. We can't say we care about security and privacy and data integrity if we're also saying, oh, but it's no big deal. Just go to this website and download this APK and it's cracked and then you can use it with anything. And that's not how any of this works. Um... Yeah, Simon says Hypno. Basically, OP did a Mobvoi with the OSs. Um, yeah, again, it's like when you can put two watches in one, we can find some incredible solutions to fixing the big gaping holes in Wear OS. Michael Peppertech, they'll give me $180 for my Series 7 Apple Watch. I don't think that's that bad. Um, I th- like in my brain, like that sounds like it's pretty good. And I'm I'm willing to bet that you will get better trade-in deals uh, for Apple watches than any other brand. <laughs> I bet OnePlus is very anxious, like subsidize the Apple users, subsidize them heavily. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, I'm mad that I didn't even think of it first. The implementation is so obvious. Smartwatch plus feature watch fallback. I wonder why no other OEM has done it. So every OEM has a power fallback feature, like a basic low power run the watch as a timepiece mode, uh, every manufacturer has one. One of the reasons why I liked the Mobvoi flavor was even though it's, it fell back to a really, really low power, low power um, state, it still had, it was more than just timepiece. It still had your fitness tracking information would still get logged. So then when you could recharge the watch, you could connect it back to your phone. All of that data would get imported. It didn't lose that functionality. To see OnePlus give you a full second watch of functionality is the next progressive step, which is, which is incredible. It's huge. It's a really big deal. Um... <laughs> T-Bubs. <laughs> so what makes you think I haven't? Um, T-Bubs says, it's time for Juan to be a two-watch-at-a-time kind of person. T-Bubs, on my desk right now. I mean, I, I know you mean in wearing two watches at a time. To do this, I regularly wear two watches at a time. So in my little slate of smartwatches on my desk right now, I'm just going to keep picking them up. And I'm wearing one, but... Um, these are in regular rotation. They are constantly getting pulled and, uh, and swapped and replaced. And I know you're just looking at a whole bunch of like black circles and black bands. Um, oh, got to reach this one. I think this is the little Xiaomi. That was an older Xiaomi fitness tracker. And then this, what one was this? Oh, this is another of the Mobvoi like uh, fancy trackers. And then... Uh, this one, oh, this one I need to update. This is the older Tick Watch. This is the one I was telling you, the 3 Pro. I should probably go and see if it did finally get um, just a little patch to fix that OS. And then um, the band that I'm using the most is one of the Poco 
uh, Xiaomi sport bands. So this is what I'm constantly kind of moving back and forth to test and compare and contrast the, uh, the newest smartwatch offerings from all these different manufacturers. The, the one that's the silly one, this is, uh, was it Apple Watch Series 4? I want to say it's a Series 4. I don't even know if it'll say on the casing. The oldest one is my Apple Watch. I just don't feel any burning desire to buy a newer Apple Watch. <laughs> um, Delanbit is the only strap, is that the only strap color available? When you buy the watch, there are two colors. Um, there's radiant steel, and then I think a dark casing. The dark casing just comes with a plain black watch, but it's a standard 22 millimeter lug. So I think I'm going to swap out this because it has the, um, the watch band does that thing where it kind of scoops up to the sides of the, uh, of the bezel uh, around the display. And I think I'm going to get a watch that is just a normal watch strap. I'm going to get a watch. I'm going to get a watch strap that's just a normal lug that goes straight across. So I don't mind the look of it kind of coming up to the side, but I don't think that's going to age well over a longer period of time. But any standard 22 millimeter is going to work great. And I have a hand cut, hand stitched, ox blood, a maroon leather watch strap that I think would look really sharp with this like bright, radiant stainless steel casing. And then I'll, I'll adjust the, uh, my watch face. So it kind of fits that a little bit better. Um, I, I think that's going to be my play. I, I love this watch. I think it's rugged. It's, it's got all of the right specs for it to be kind of an outdoorsy hiking, um, adventure watch, you know, good water resistance, mil spec 810H, all that stuff. But I also think I'm going to kind of keep this as the nicer timepiece and then maybe keep my tick watch around to brutalize when I go out on really long bike rides and hikes. <laughs> it's not fair, but I kind of like that division of labor. Before I was a smartwatch guy, I was a classical analog watch guy. And I still have a box in my closet just of old timepieces um, that I constantly need to go in and, and wind or replace the batteries, all that stuff. I really, really did love accessorizing with watches. So for me, it's not, this is the one smartwatch I will always wear. For me, it's like, hey, you know what? I actually need to put on a suit today. So what should I wear with that? <laughs> and then I have to install an app and get it paired to my phone. Uh, do, 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 do. From Nation Harris, the only thing with a lot of smartwatches like TickWatch and OnePlus Watch is their sizes, they're ginormous. So uh, Mobvoi addresses that with like um, the E-Series. And the E-Series is clean and it is a little bit smaller. It's going to be hard for me to, I should take this back off so I can hold it up. Um, let me get this here. So like, yeah, if, if I'm looking, the, the E-Series, it's still a, kind of a thick cylinder, but it's a much smaller circle around. So that would be the tick watch that you want. If you go tick watch pro, it's their biggest. It's got all of their bestest technologies. It's got the biggest battery, et cetera, et cetera. I feel cause, cause someone else was com um, made this complaint on my YouTube video. I would totally go for this. If there was a smaller version of the one plus watch, I feel OnePlus had such a disastrous launch for their first watch. They needed to take the time to get this right. <laughs> so we've got a watch. It's really good. There are a couple little things that I think can be polished up or maybe improved. I'd love to see a, a rotating crown actually control stuff on the screen. That'd be great. 
But now that they've gotten this out and it works, and it's not just like an idea, this is a, as a proof of concept for a dual-brained wearable works so well. Now for OnePlus Watch 3, I hope they can expand. Now, now it would make sense for them to expand on their portfolio. If they had just kind of like, hey, we made this first watch and it was terrible. Now we've come out with two different sizes and there's a watch and a watch pro and this and that and blah, 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 blah. It wouldn't have worked. It would have, you would have divided the conversation. People would have complained about something because it's OnePlus and you always got to dig up drama. It wouldn't have worked. Google did the opposite. For Google, I really wish they had a larger watch. The, the, the Pixel Watch 2 is teeny. And I don't mind wearing a teeny little watch. It is sort of a fitness trackery kind of fit. But that's not the, the accent that I like on my wrist. I don't have huge hands or huge wrists, but I like a large watch face on my wrist. So the Pixel Watch is a better fit for Marie. And there isn't a Pixel Watch that's really a good fit for me. The OnePlus watch is a better fit for me. There's no way my wife would ever want to wear this watch. <laughs> so unfortunately, we don't have the solutions in-house from all of these companies. Um, it's going to take them a while. If they find some success with this watch, then hopefully they can come out with an expanded portfolio later. But that won't happen if, uh, if they don't see some sales on, on this, uh, this watch right here. Oh, um, from Ike's Tech Talk. I have not. So Ike is asking, have I used any third-party watch faces? I've heard mixed things about them. I'm also curious how they work with the RTOS part of the watch. As soon as you go RTOS, it is a limited operating system. So if you have an, a, a watch face with active complications, it will probably not work on the RTOS side of the situation. What I think could be interesting you can install other watch faces on a lot of our RTOS watches. I have no idea if the first OnePlus watch had that capability, but I would love to see, and I'm going to reach out to the folks at OnePlus. I'm going to ask their PR. If there was an additional watch face pack that was available for the first OnePlus watch, is that something that can be imported into the RTOS on the OnePlus watch too? And that to me, I think would be a good compromise, but it's never going to be the same functionality one-to-one. It is a completely separate software environment going from Wear OS complications to RTOS complications. <laughs> Dr. Claw scrolling up to see the impoopification comments. Uh, everything sucks. Hooray! <laughs> Al Sabagli. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I need to try this one on the OnePlus. Al says, I thought I needed at least five days as well, but then I discovered I could have Pip-Boy on my Pixel Watch, and there was no turning back. <laughs> um, it's funny when you land just that one little thing, and you're like, oh, I'm willing to compromise other stuff on this gadget because I have this one little thing. I'm good. I'm good with that. I can make that decision. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but that's a totally personal kind of a thing. But for me, it's like considering the RTOS side of this and the battery life, I can give up the rotating crown or having a turnable bezel. I don't like swiping my screen to get through notifications, but knowing that this watch is going to last me days out in the field, I can make that compromise as a grown-up, especially because I do really like the design. The look of the watch 
is my vibe. Um, it's just kind of silly. It, it's the funniest little thing. You'll hit it and you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that I cared that much about that. But I guess I do. <laughs> From Dave Burns, the price probably costs too much to put the brains in, but the Chinese firms have sub companies. Having sub companies allows them to do experimental ideas like dual, dual OS without the total collapse of the firm. I'm gonna say. I think I understand what you're saying. So like Oppo can make a watch and then they can put a OnePlus label on it and they can use that as a way to kind of test these features out in the field. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting to me because I don't think that the Oppo watch is going to be radically different though. I think Oppo is coming into this saying like, there are these huge issues with Wear OS, and unfortunately, we are now responsible for fixing them since Google doesn't seem to be capable of managing a unified platform for developers to jump on. Um, <laughs> T-Bubs, two on each wrist and you have ankles. Get to it. <laughs> I will wear all of my watches all the time every day. Hooray. <laughs> Um, let me scroll down here from Hassam. Hi Juan, thoughts on the watch haptics and are you reviewing the new Xiaomi watch? Uh, I have not gotten my hands on the new Xiaomi watch. I have reached out to the folks at Xiaomi. Um, they sent out, we, we can use this to start transitioning into talking about the Xiaomi 14. Uh, they kept a really tight leash on the Xiaomi 14 Ultra. As far as I know, there was not a lot of early reviewer activity. And a lot of what we see are early hands-on with some of the prototype units that Xiaomi had access to. To me, it sounded a lot like the kind of thing that Sony does. When you see a Sony video a month before the phone is available for pre-order, you're seeing someone using a a very early hardware build prototype device. And it might not be fully feature complete. I have played with Sony's where the cell radios had not been installed. Sorry, Hassam. Um, haptics on the OnePlus watch are nice and tight. Just a little bit of that kind of OnePlus pluck. You remember on slightly older OnePlus phones, I think like going back to the OnePlus 9 Pro, it wasn't hollow feeling, but it was almost resonant, like a little, but with like an echo behind it. And the haptics feel a bit like that. Little flutter, little pulses, really tightly controlled. It is a slightly more powerful haptic engine than what's on a tick watch. I don't think it's as interrupt my train of thought noticeable as the Galaxy. But they're all trying to play with some of the different feelings for notifications like Pixel and Apple Watch are. So I think Apple Watch and Pixel Watch, it's not so much that they're like the most powerful haptic motors and that's what gets your attention. It's these different tactile events that clue you in that something else is happening in your sphere of digital influence. And OnePlus is kind of riding that line, trying, I think, they're trying to get some of the more detailed 
accents to those, but I do wish the motor was just a tiny bit punchier. Just a little bit more force that could be thrown behind it. But it's really lovely. It's, I would say it's a step above the Mobvoi. Mobvoi was just nice because even up into like the Tick Watch Pro 3, it was that really ugly, just dull, flat, buzzy motor that you would completely ignore. You're out and about doing stuff. You're just kind of getting through your day. I'm shopping through the grocery store. I just ignore just the dull fuzz and I would miss something on my watch. Um, the Ticket Watch Pro 5 improved on that. I think the OnePlus Watch 2 is a little bit better. It's a little bit tighter. But I do hope that we I can have a conversation with Xiaomi and say like, hey, I would love to spend a little time with the Xiaomi watch, do a little comparison, just kind of add that to the conversation. And then hopefully we can also talk to them about Maybe Juan doesn't need to buy a 14 Ultra if I can just get a loner. <laughs> that would be really nice, too. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the Internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Thanks, Juan Carlos, for allowing me to be part of your show. And um, I want to introduce myself to you guys. My name is TK Bay, and I've been doing YouTube for quite some time, almost 10 years now. And you can find me online by just looking for TK Bay either on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, but the general consensus is uh, I'm a tech reviewer. I provide a an interesting way of approaching tech by uh, the same way you would actually go ask your friend for help. This is generally the consensus of how my channel runs. Um, I review anything from Android, iOS, uh, PC computers, scooters, um, basically, you know, drones, anything that you think of as consumer tech, I generally try to get my hands on it and share with you guys my opinions. And of course, any troubleshooting or even tips and tricks that can help you enjoy your tech even better. Uh, again, thank you very much to Juan Carlos. But if you'd like to check me out, just look for at TKDSL8655 on Instagram and Twitter or TKBay in YouTube. So um, I want to take a quick break here before we talk about Xiaomi. I know we're, we're kind of getting into two hours here. I want to see if this is going to work. I really, hope, I really it hope it does. I'm crashing the stream. No, you're literally crashing the stream. I love it. So say something else, TK. We're doing it live. Audio something else, TK. We're doing it live. Audio is good. Okay. I've turned you down just a little on my side. I have no idea if that's going to turn you down for the on the stream. side of the stream. But um, we were going to talk about we were going to talk about Xiaomi 14, but I know you've got a little time cuz you're hopping in and out of events and I think we should I, I spend am... a little bit just chatting up. You put out a video and then you've been using it a whole ton. Your experiences on the Honor. Hey, check that out. On the Honor. That, yeah, boy. yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, I am I'm a I'm a walking phone uh, encyclopedia. No, uh, well, <laughs> try not to wave that stuff around Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, 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 I've already heard of a couple of situations where, unfortunately, some people were, you know, yes, it is not the place to wave phones. Like, like for, for an event focused on mobile, it's the worst place. But, um, yeah, no, no. Okay, I'll say this. Uh, very busy day, very, very long day, and it's not close to be done. But um, the biggest thing I'll probably say overall with the Magic 6 Pro and what we have at least this year, the improvements, the larger battery, the processing, Gen 3, um, the new approach, almost like a, uh, I'm going to say a Lonely Island approach to uh, the camera stack <laughs> that we have at the top with a little bit of functions in there. I've been very surprised. I've been very surprised with the way, and I'm actually, I've been a, I've been a big fan of the way Honor processes and 
runs uh, image processing on their devices and they do yeah. um, their support for technology. The Magic 6 Pro has not disappointed. If anything, it has surprised me with the fact that we finally have a feature. I do apologize for me being shaky. I am holding hand holding this. I don't have a tripod on. Um, the it, it, the Magic 8, basically the Magic OS 8 update that they pushed in, the inclusion of uh, the ability now doing swipe down to open notifications, uh, the animation that we get in there, some of the AI functionalities that they're adding in there with the image. Mm -hmm. Again, overall, uh, just it's been a pleasure. It's been great. Fast charging, desktop mode, wired, wireless, all the things that I typically ask for from their devices, and now a little bit better support. We're doing um, it live, and TK is shaking like it's going out of style. Honor, I'm going to shut up and get out of your way, because I know you've got some other stuff. And then if you can, I'd also love to hear yep. some of your thoughts on um, uh, some of the uh, concepts and the experiments that you've seen on the MWC. Yeah, no, no, no. There's been some really cool I, stuff I, there, too. A lot, of, a lot of cool concepts. Actually, I just literally, within the last 30 minutes or so, I just pushed out a video for the Lenovo concept, talking about a see-through display on a laptop that changes the way you think using laptops should be. Um, some things like the ability of actually sitting there and being able to share the content that you're working with, with somebody sitting on the opposite side, not having to have a, a black display, you know, cut that, I would say that personal touch when you're working with people and, but actually still have something that looks really good, really clean. The images are super bright, super deep colors. And whatever doesn't have anything images on it, it ends up being literally transparent. You can see through it. And the other person can see your start button. They can see your notification panel, uh, notification button, all of that. It's just, it's, it's a very interesting approach. It's a concept at this point. Um, Lenovo, sorry, uh, I would say, uh, was it a Motorola also had, or at least I didn't have a chance to play with it yet, but they had that concept where it was supposed to be a snap-on foldable uh, phone that worked a little bit like mm -hmm. a, basically a watch. So they actually have it. It's yeah. on the show floor. You're able to check it out. But unfortunately, day one is always the worst. They don't try anything at the show. So it was just swarms of people. Um, last year, they, had, they gave us the opportunity to test it out behind behind closed doors and meetings for media. So this time it wasn't, unfortunately, but the Lenovo one was. So I, that's one. That's why the video is there. And then um, I got a chance to see some of the some of the technologies that Samsung's trying to do in their display tech. So typically we always go to smartphones and so on, but I actually got a chance to go to Samsung Display, which is a separate entity in a different part of the, of the show floor. And it's showing like the dual fold displays, like a fold and, and, and roll, uh, even like a drop down uh, display, like super thin panels that we're talking about. Uh, they even had a robot that they brought in from their manufacturing facilities to do uh, stress testing and uh, basically, you know, bending, scratching, <laughs> uh, water dunking. Literally one of the functions of the robot was like, dush, dush, like this, in the water, in the water, in the water. <laughs> like, it felt like a torture test. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Techno also just launched this there. And this is something that I felt like you and I would definitely love to get, to be able to check out. I'm hoping we do. It's a, think of how, you remember like our Steam Deck or the Legion Go kind of work as far as the game system, right? It's essentially a computing device with a large display and controllers on the side. We're, we're very familiar with that format. Well, Techno sure. decided that let's just take the display out, keep the computing components, keep the controller, and then connect AR glasses. So just like our, our, our Roken oh. Air and all of the, like the way we normally do it, but use that yeah. as the display and give us the ability of having replaceable batteries, which is something that nobody really cared for, but apparently, hey. no, seriously, like, it's some crazy stuff. And then top it off, a more powerful processor than what we have right now in the Legion Go. It plays uh, Cyberpunk 2077 at 60 frames per second, buttery smooth. 
it was crazy. Okay. I played that and I was like, oh my God, like I've had, I've had quite a few wow moments today because this like, I mean, they may be incremental improvement, but taking out the main display when I love playing with glasses makes perfect sense to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause we do this, we've done this and I do this currently. I have it. This is how my entertainment setup is on the plane going back in a couple of days. Um, so that spoke very, very, very clearly to me. Um, I think yeah, some of the other things, obviously Xiaomi, the Xiaomi 14 Ultra to me was also big, although not a concept. Uh, it was very refreshing to be able to see the device, finally see that they were able to like, yeah, we, you know, even we, some substantial saying, improvements it, there. It seems, it, it seems mm -hmm. like Xiaomi didn't put out a big embargo reviewer push on that phone, that it was people who were getting to play with like really limited hands-on experiences. It was pretty, yeah, like so they sent the phone out the Xiaomi 14. It seems, at least from my perspective right now, I don't, I haven't seen a person that has um, the actual phone as, as a device other than Xiaomi reps. So they've had it. This is their, obviously, I'm sure they've had it for quite some time. Uh, a lot of them are early prototypes or some devices like them that they were able to show. The devices on the show floor, to my surprise, did show that they were global as they were running uh, mm -hmm. the Google Play services on them. But they also did bring in the China only ceramic blue and um, at the Xiaomi 13 Pro, which we're not, sorry, 13 Pro, which we're not going to see. Or 14 Pro, not 13. Yes. I'm thinking of the wrong year. <laughs> so I, I got you. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, of course, they brought the car, which looks absolutely fantastic in person. Um, they, they went Very with that old. blue Mustang, uh, the blue Mach-E Mustang that they showcased a couple years ago or so uh, at CES. It's exactly that same color. It just looks crazy good. We couldn't get in, but uh, they gave us early access where we were at on the show floor before it opened to the public. So we got to see it with not as many people. So yeah, man, a lot of a lot of stuff. I'm I'm late on so many things. I, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm tired. Jet lag is really serious. And yeah. and 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 yeah, man, it's just I really wish you were here. That's all I can say, man. I don't know why I'm saying this. Like I can't say it enough. It's a long it's a long trip. This... I know. Well, no, but we started this this podcast off talking about some of like the really dire situations with like layoffs in the tech industry and journalism and stuff like that. And I just keep thinking like, you know, uh, when when it can make sense to put together the budget for us to go and collaborate and co-produce, yeah. it would take so much pressure off. Absolutely, like, absolutely. Right now, it, it's an event like this would need it. Resources yeah. in place. Yeah. No, I know. No, and I mean the tough part about it is. MWC is very different than any of the other shows or conventions or anything that goes on the rest of the year. Even IFA and CES don't really compete with it. There's a lot of tech yeah. at, the, at those events, and just they're not that much mobile. Here, you've got literally like anything that's related to mobile, anything that even comes close to it is there. Um, I mean, we got, uh, what's it called? Uh, ASUS is here doing more uh, B2B car computing stuff. Uh, MediaTek has their own booth mm -hmm. uh, going in there. Qualcomm is doing the same thing. It's, there's so much stuff going on, and it's crazy busy. And in a weird way, this is pre-pandemic numbers here. Uh, there's a yeah. few changes from the last time when you were here. They put a big awning booth at the front now where you just scan your badge, you go in, they print it. You, the lines are much faster to get in. It's no longer that single nice. file and go in there. Yeah, and it's just uh, like, I don't have my badge on me, but they actually went back to printed badges. They went, they give us, they give you the digital code, <laughs> but you still have to get a printed badge mm -hmm. so that exhibitors can scan your badge and stuff like that when you're walking around. So. It's good. It's, it's good. It's funny. Um, we've come like full circle back to like barcodes and QR codes. Yeah, like, I know. Like, wait, <laughs> digital stuff on the phone? I don't do that stuff. But yeah, 
you know, it's, so, it's one uh, of those. Just, just, yeah. while I still oh, have I was going to say I, one I more, one more AR. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So no, the last ahead. thing I'm just saying, which is where I am right now, and I don't know if you can see it right there. So in that booth or inside of that little hallway right there, although it looks like I'm enjoying being at the beach, at the marina, which I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, Opal had a hands-on experience with their new air glasses or their new AR glasses that they've been demoing. It's a concept still. It's the third iteration, super light, super uh, like easy to use. The glasses that the displays are somewhat centered. I took a few pictures. I'm going to go back in real quick before they start closing shop. And then it's just so in, in like it's an approach. It's a demo. It's a concept proof, and it works really good. The touch response is very good. They have four microphones built in. It's really personal speaker system that has somewhat of a they're calling it basically an like an isolation sound system where it allows it to just beam directly to your ears and nobody else can hear it which is crazy because the moment you take off the glasses although they're still playing music you almost can't hear them anymore and nice. um a couple of new ai functionalities that they're talking about they're bringing in magic erasing functionalities into their camera app also bringing in uh, deep blurring t uh, technology with uh, especially with moving objects so a lot of new demos in there and that's like pretty much the last demo for the day before I, we've obviously start back again in the morning. But yeah, man, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy event. It's a crazy event. And I, and my batteries are not lasting. This is like, I'll say that I, I had to charge no. my 12 just so that I had enough juice to be able to do this. And I topped off my ESM <laughs> too, just in case I don't run out of data. I'm pretty sure I look horrible, by the way. I realize that part is, is, is this late? It's not uh, very well good. lit. I'm glad we got any part of it to work. Uh, so considering how, how badly the stream has been going all morning, this is like actually oh, dude, the, one of the best consistent parts of it. Um, just, we had just wrapped up, uh, talking about it, but, um, it, just to close sure. this out and then I'll let you get back to your event tonight. Uh, I happen to notice a watch on your wrist. If you had any feelings or, well, I, or I have, I have two actually, share. I have the, Oh, we were the talking new, about uh, that also. The, the band, the A Pro, the one uh, from uh, from Xiaomi. They gave them to us at the event. <laughs> of course, we have. Actually, if you've been watching my videos from the last couple of days, you probably have seen the watch. It's been in a lot of my videos. Same. I didn't really do a good job hiding it. <laughs> I've still got this really there. But, uh, dude, seriously, the watch two is a seriously like right now one of my number one recommendations. Battery life, performance. Yeah. Once you helped me figure out the issue thing with the with the the concern the issue with the microphone that I was having on my side, it was just smooth sailing. Yeah. And, but even before then, with consistent it, notifications all day long, and responding so and answering solid. and doing a whole bunch of stuff, it it hasn't. Oh my god, it has not disappointed. It just it's been great. Yeah. I can't explain it. It's a really good I, recipe. I I need to point out because I did not hit it that hard in my video. The mm -hmm. parts of the watch that I think are the clumsiest are seeing where Google is in transition on their services. So if you yeah. played with Gemini and then you hook up an Android Wear watch, Google doesn't seem to have figured out all of the bits and pieces to get that chain working again. And you would have to know that yeah. you need to go in and disable Gemini to get your assistant it, working And I didn't again. even and think about it. Yeah. Silly. It, it, yeah, it did not. It did not occur to me once because I assumed the watch had its own assistant because it didn't say Gemini when I run when I launched the assistant. Right. So I never thought that there would be a communication concern with the device. But you're right. The moment I uninstalled it and reverted back to the regular assistant and restarted the watch, it worked perfectly fine. And I knew it was working. I knew the microphone wasn't damaged. I, I, I was trying to um, yeah. rule out any 
hardware issue because I can make calls from it and it worked perfectly fine. So once we fix that problem, it's uh, it is something to do. Yeah, Google needs to get things up to date, especially with the the fact that it's public now. You can pre-order the watch starting today. Yeah, and I think it's going to be available on Amazon for pre-order or sales also later on. So it's not a it's it's, it's going to be really exciting. If you're looking for one, I highly recommend it. I, I of course go green. I like the color because it matches my twelve, but the black one looks really sleek as well. Yeah, I know. You and I we both got the same watch. Finally, same. We don't get different Twins. colors. I actually really dig like we got the green phones and the green watches. It's simpatico. All right, but thank you so much for jumping in. And I really appreciate the thoughts on, uh, on the strategy sir. and seeing some other stuff from the show floor. I'll let you get back to it. Cause I know you've got a lot going on tonight and you need to go get some sleep. I, you got to go I, crash. I will so. at some point. I will. I will. I'll say this. I will be crashing. That's how I've been sleeping <laughs> the last few days. Unfortunately, I can't stay asleep, which is the challenge, but yeah, yeah a couple more days and uh, travel, I'll, I'll be back and, We'll talk more on Thursday for sure um, on our regular show. Uh, We'll be back on that one. But yeah, thanks everybody. All right. Take care. care. Stay hydrated. We'll talk soon. I will. I will. Bye-bye. Uh, just a little uh, brief interlude uh, there with TK. Uh, I knew he would have better thoughts to share on the Honor Magic 6 Pro. And now we can get to some Xiaomi 14. Uh, real quick, Michael Corcoran is asking, is it a curved display? And I don't know. Do you mean on the Honor or on the the, the watch? Because we were kind of bouncing around a bunch of different topics there. Um, Nation Harris, is anyone actually happy they've replaced or are replacing Assistant with Gemini? Gemini has some really cool search features, and I don't think it's a usable assistant. Like all of the other stuff, it's slowly getting built back in. But the second I fired up Gemini, I felt like, oh, Google just basically made Siri. It's a really good engine for searching the internet for things, but it wasn't a good assistant for controlling features in the home and then all, all of our smart IoT stuff there too. So, um, let me get this out of the way. Juan just jimmied TK. <laughs> no, it just we, we've been chatting this entire time. So, on top of my mics not working at the beginning of this podcast, it was also trying to schedule when TK would be able to jump in and, uh, and uh, kind of join just this part of the conversation. We weren't able to do a best of our week last week because he was, he was traveling. And honestly, we wouldn't have had anything to talk about because all these phones have been under embargo. So this is the Xiaomi 14. This is the smaller of the two phones. The Xiaomi 14 Ultra, I believe, is going to be roughly the same dimensions. Um, I know it's on my desk somewhere. Okay, so the Xiaomi 14 Ultra will be roughly the same dimensions as the 13 Ultra. And so you can kind of see that's the sort of difference in, in size. It's, it's a wider phone and a taller phone. And then I have the comically large uh, bracket on the back of my, 14, uh, my 13 Ultra to uh, put on lens filters and stuff like that. The 14, the little 14, is almost exactly the same size as the Xiaomi 13, which I have right here. So the 13 I have in this kind of like, I don't know what color, what, what color we would call this. Um, it's sort of like a greenish tint. Is it taupe? I don't know. I don't know colors. I'm an audio guy. But they're the, uh, essentially the almost identical in terms of size, but we see a much larger camera bulge on the back of the 14. And that's one of the most exciting things for me about this phone is because I'm a big old camera snob. 
I get a little prickly when I see a company put out a line of phones and they all have the same name, but then they have different features based on the phone sizes. The Xiaomi 14 Pro will not be getting an international release. It's just going to be 14 and 14 Ultra. So at least we're calling it an Ultra. We would expect some differences between the 14 and the Ultra. But this phone right here is built to kind of do battle a little closer, say, in between um, a Galaxy S24 and an S24+. Plus. Again, depending on regions and exchange rates and what currency you use, a Galaxy S24 will probably be cheaper than the Xiaomi 14. But the Xiaomi 14 is better in almost every way. <laughs> and... Um, the cameras, cameras on the Xiaomi 14 are closing in on the performance of the, the, the main shooters on the Galaxy Note 24. Especially main wide camera to main wide camera, the Xiaomi 14 is outperforming Samsung's most expensive ultra tier phone. This is hundreds of dollars difference in terms of price, no matter what region you're in. But the littler Xiaomi is, is boasting a new feature, a new sensor from Omnivision. I have no relationship with Omnivision, but Omnivision has come out of nowhere over the last year. Now a lot of our really nice telephoto camera sensors, like the really great telephoto on the Vivo and on the OnePlus, the OnePlus Open and the OnePlus 12, are Omnivision sensors. And this new wide sensor from Omnivision is the same sensor size as the main camera on the Note 24, but it's got a crazy new ISO range. So this is the first, as far as I know, this is the first one over 1.3 inch type sensor that has an expanded ISO range that can roughly match a one-inch type sensor. On a phone like the Note 24, your top ISO, if you're shooting RAW, if you're shooting in manual modes, your top ISO is 3200. If you go up to a one-inch sensor, it's four times more. <laughs> it's 12800. And then if you go to the Xiaomi 14, it also can shoot at 12800. In that ISO range, if you back this down to ISO 3200 and match the shutter speed with the, the Note 24, you get a clearer, cleaner, uh, higher dynamic range issue with lower noise because you are not maxing out this sensor's light gathering um, capabilities. You still have Four stops more to go. <laughs> so I, I shared a raw photo in my Xiaomi 14 uh, video looking at um, a, a low light shot. I'm in like the middle of a dark field, just hoping I don't get mugged. And uh, ISO 3200, 115th of a second shutter speed, both of them in regular raw, not in any kind of expanded super raw or pro raw or expert raw. And the littler phone from Xiaomi just crushes the main camera sensor on Samsung's most expensive uh, non-folding phone. The rest of this phone is a nice feature improvement over the Xiaomi 13. You can tell 
one of the things they're taking the most seriously on all of their phones right now is this Leica partnership. They're really trying to make a big play, a, a lot of noise, a big talking point out of our relationship with Leica has improved these cameras year over year over year. I think we've seen some of the biggest photography improvements from uh, Vivo and Zeiss and uh, Xiaomi and Leica. Like the most exciting camera developments have come from those two companies and they've been working with um, legit old school lens photography manufacturers. So um, everything else has been an improvement. I mean, like I go through all the Xiaomi 14 like specs and stuff. Um, you can catch that in the video. But so many good ideas and so many nice little lifestyle improvements. Uh, faster charging, now 90 watt charging, video out through the USB-C port, a higher resolution display that does get brighter than the screen on the Xiaomi 13. And then also they've moved the IR blaster. This is silly and I'm mad I didn't think of it first. But you go to pick up um, a Xiaomi 13 and you have to use the phone like a remote. So you point the top of the phone at your TV screen and then you kind of need to look on top to where all the buttons are. On the Xiaomi 14, they move the IR blaster to the camera module because there's so much space in the camera module now. Why not put the IR blaster there and then you hold your phone up flat. So you can totally see the screen and all the controls and the IR blasters pointing to your TV or your stereo equipment or whatever you're going to use that way. That's so genius. I can't believe no one thought of that. <laughs> like, that is a much better way to use that feature on a phone. So, this is, uh, like, obviously this is one of those, like, bittersweet parts of the conversation where, sure, if you're a big old nerd like I am, you you love importing these devices. Like, I've got... A 12S Ultra, a 13 Ultra, a 13, and a 14 on my desk right now. I am lush with the riches of Xiaomi. And these phones have very quickly taken over <clears throat> almost all of my B-roll camera duties. Like, even now inside, in, in, in my office, I'm shooting less and less and less from my standalone mirrorless cameras when I can just pick up a phone, line up a shot, pop on a tripod get this quick little thing. The video quality is not so discernibly different when I'm compressing and sending up to YouTube. It's so much faster now working from mobile for these types of like talky video explainer, YouTubery kinds of reviews. So it's just a shame because we're not getting competition like this here. To, to compete against this phone, you have to step up to at least a Galaxy S24 Plus and go with a larger, a slightly larger body style, or you have to step up to an iPhone Pro, it, it's crazy to me that once we start really kind of comparing and contrasting all of these features and, 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 and all of this hardware, I mean, sure, there are always pros and cons. If you have a Galaxy S24, you have a phone that's roughly this shape, and it can do DeX, and that's great. I love DeX. I really wish more phones had desktop modes. But you're paying a lot just to get DeX now. I mean, TK was just showing off the Honor Magic 6 Pro. That has the Honor Magic UI, and that can be used as a desktop uh, sort of PC-style interface if you plug that phone in. And that phone is selling at a very disruptive price for all of the tech that Honor is trying to showcase. I want to say it's like 800 pounds. Is it 800 pounds sterling for the Honor Magic 6 Pro? So... I got a comment on my on on my Xiaomi 14 video of like, oh, Juan's got a new video. I'm so excited. Oh, it's another phone I can't buy. 
increasingly, like, if we're not showcasing all of the stuff that the rest of the world is getting to play with, Americans really have no idea how far behind they're falling. Like, how far behind the real tech curve we are if all of our stuff is just Apple. Or all of our stuff is Apple versus Samsung so Apple can be the winner. It's really disappointing. Um, I used to be a diehard Samsung knight, and before that I was a, a crazy, unhinged Apple fanboy. And I pick up the Note 24, and it's good. There are a lot of really good lifestyle and feature improvements. The, the camera has been improved. There's a lot less of that disruptive shutter lag when I'm trying to like shoot cool photos of my daughter playing softball, stuff like that. It is really nice. It is not a phone I think of when I really want to dig into some cameras, when I really want to dig into some photography, or when I really need to use one of these phones as um, a production camera for my YouTube videos. So it, it, it is kind of sad. Like when we don't get good competition, we start to miss what these improvements really mean. And, and it's, it's funky because we've been promised, like think of how many times Apple has come out in a keynote and said, well, we're using this new pixel well technology and it's going to radically improve the light that gathers from the sensor and blah, 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 blah. And then you go and you shoot on your iPhone and Maybe it looks a little different, or maybe it's just the placebo effect, or maybe it's just slightly different JPEG processing. I can pick up a Xiaomi 14. I can go out to a dark field in the middle of the night. I can set the exposure settings the same as a phone that costs hundreds of dollars more, and then I can fire off two photos, and I can show you a dramatic difference at the same ISO and then show you how much more room I have to expand on top of that if I want to drive into the extended ISO. And it's just one feature, the light sensitivity capabilities of the sensor from the same size sensor. They're both 1 over 1.3 inch type sensors. But this is so much more practical and useful for me than having hundreds of megapixels because both of these I'm just going to kind of bend down to a 12 megapixel image anyway it is very rare that I feel I need hundreds of megapixels that's what we lose because we've heard so many snake oil claims from Apple marketing and Samsung and these presentations and it's going to be the bestest phone ever and then we miss something like that. If you really care about photography, not just, hey, I took a photo of my lunch and I'm putting it up on Instagram. What I mean is like your ability to drive this phone even harder in mixed or challenging lighting conditions, this is a camera that really rises to that occasion in a way that I have not seen except for other phones that have absurdly large one-inch type sensors. And I feel like more people would care about that kind of stuff if we actually talked about it like, something you should care about. But the second I said Omnivision, I've already muted them because they're useless. They've contributed nothing to the conversation. Three of the first comments that I got on the Xiaomi were, oh, Chinese software that spies on you and Omnivision camera sensors, what a fail, Xiaomi. And you're like, yeah, that's not someone who knows anything about tech. That's just someone who looks at brand labels and then points to those to justify why they only buy from one manufacturer. 
So it was, again, it just, I'm way too tired. <laughs> like, I wasn't even going to bother. Like, let me debate you, bro. It was just mute. It just instantly went to mute. I was like, I have not had enough sleep to in, uh, handle that kind of lack of commentary. So in ways that I was not as impressed with the Xiaomi 13, the Xiaomi 13 became a cute little phone that you kind of recommend if you don't, didn't mind a significant series of compromises. But I was more inclined to recommend people go up to the Xiaomi 14 Pro. I mean, the Xiaomi 13 Pro for an international Xiaomi. I thought it was a much better phone. The Xiaomi 14 and f- it, the Xiaomi 14 feels like a much more legitimate, smaller, premium phone. It's more expensive than a Galaxy S24. It is better in every way. Higher resolution display. Uh, I believe screen brightness is pretty comparable now, but again, the specs on how you measure screen brightness always feel gamed. When like, oh, it's like 4,000 nits. If you only measure from this one cluster of pixels in the corner and, and optimal laboratory conditions. Um, but the cameras are better. IR blaster. Battery is, is bigger. <laughs> the f- charging is way faster. It is incredibly performant. It goes toe-to-toe with the Ultra in a lot of my performance tests. It's just a better phone. So it should cost more. We shouldn't look at the Xiaomi label and say, it should be better than a Galaxy in every way, and it should of cost less. That's not how this works. <laughs> I want Leica partnerships and radical new camera sensors from manufacturers I didn't see coming, and I want to see the entire feature experience improve. And the 14 has done that in a really lovely way over the Xiaomi 13. So, um... Yeah, Dave Burns, please ignore all the times when Samsung sold customer data or how often Google hands over data to the feds or just the fact that your ISP will sell your data to law enforcement and there's nothing stopping them because we still have not empowered the FCC to regulate that space. Um, Michael Peppertech, does does the Xiaomi have video out over USB or a desktop mode? I missed if you mentioned that. It does have video output now. The Xiaomi 13 did not. The Xiaomi 14 has now included that. Um, trying to see, oh, people are talking about like headphones and neckbands and stuff like that. So, uh, let me get out of the way here and get that back there. So, uh, we are running crazy long. Uh, I was kind of stalling on the OnePlus Watch 2 a little bit because TK was saying he was trying to get set up and it took us a little time to get that started. But one of the least exciting news stories of the week that I think is a tragic misstep, um... For, for, for tech journalism, uh, I cannot fathom. So, okay, sorry. I'm putting the cart before the horse, and then I put the horse back in the barn, and then I went back out to the cart and said, well, where's the horse to draw this cart? So the point I'm trying to get at, the last thing I want to talk about is the new eraser tool from Microsoft. Windows 11. I'm on Windows 11 right now. Windows 11 has a Photos app. And in the Photos app is a little editor panel. And you can kind of mess with the brightness or recrop the frame or juice up the saturation. I actually think the Windows 11 photo editor got less feature complete than what we had on Windows 10. Because Windows 10 also had like some sharpening tools and some like softening tools. Like it had a few extra things you could do. And Windows 11 has gotten rid of that. But Microsoft just put out an email a couple days ago saying, hey, 
we're changing the spot touch fix, and now we're using a generative AI eraser. So what you could do in um, the Windows Photos tool is you click on a little spot, and it would kind of just get rid of that spot based on the information around what you clicked on. So like, you know, my face is super, super red right now. My psoriasis is just kind of out of control. I've not been keeping up with my diet or exercise just as we've been getting into MWC news. But like, you know, I've got like some, some hard little spots. Like I could take this little brown spot on my cheek. I could click on it with the spot touch-up tool. It would look at the skin around it and kind of replace it, but not very well it would look super obvious that a circle of my face had been cut and pasted. Not great. So this new photos tool, this new, they're calling it generative erase, which is a stupid name. You are generating an erase. Now we know in AI land what that means. You are generating the content to replace what you erased, but that's not what it sounds like to other people a generating erase, like you're erasing something. You're not generating something, obviously. It's offline. It is not a part of the online platform. And let me tell you, Google fanboys were so mad that I compared the offline, on-device Microsoft eraser tool against the Google Photos Magic Eraser tool. They all wanted me to compare against the online cloud services tool. Well, you needed to use Magic Editor, not use the offline tool, which makes no sense. Because I'm comparing the offline tool against the offline tool. This is running on Windows on ARM tablets, so I'm comparing against like a two to three year old Qualcomm chipset against a current pixel running a newer tensor. <laughs> offline to offline, what the device can do in that moment, no matter what your, your uh, data connection looks like. So I put together a video. It's like almost a half hour long. And it is. I'm just going through photos to see, like, let's see what it does when we want to remove a person. Let's see what it does if I'm just pulling things out of grass. Let's see what it does if I'm trying to correct for, like, branches in the side of this, this frame. And it's pretty incredible. What Microsoft has done with their generative eraser is, is very encouraging for a first-generation feature in the free Photos app. No subscription, no online component. You don't need to upload the photo to OneDrive and then work on it in Microsoft Cloud. And it's Windows on ARM is the first platform to really push this out to consumers. So if you have a Windows on ARM laptop or a Windows on ARM, on ARM tablet, then it's ready to go. I cannot understand why every major tech outlet just copy-pasted the press release and just showed the one GIF example that Microsoft put in their press release. I scoured a couple dozen sites and only one of them showed a photo example that their writer tried. And it was only one photo example and only a before and after. And that was it. I, I think other people have started talking about it a little bit more on YouTube, but for an entire day, 
I had the only video on the, on, on the internet that showed a more in-depth look back and forth, direct comparison on uh, direct comparisons on the same photos against Microsoft's eraser and Google's eraser. And I just turned on five phones on my desk by saying the G word. Oh, and uh, one of them was a Xiaomi. That's nice. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And my video has done garbage traffic. Like it has not reached anybody. Like I think I woke up this morning and it had like 1700 views and you're like, that's insane. I, I just don't understand why we're bothering to pretend Microsoft can put out the coolest software features, the best AI capabilities, the, the funkiest tablets and the best laptops. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter. Only a select group of people are ever going to get traffic. And usually they're only going to get traffic to those kinds of videos if they kind of have that apathy attitude of, well, I mean, Microsoft did a few things. That's pretty good, I guess. But it's not ready for prime time. Or you need to do this. Or only Google has done that. Or we should really wait for Apple to do their AI stuff. And then AI will be real. And then everything is just, because it should just work. And like, what are we doing? What are we doing here? If you have access, eventually this tool will roll out to other um, x86 Windows uh, platforms. I think it's probably going to be first what GPUs are supported. Um, because it looks like their their Gen, I, Gen AI fill is very much like what Magic Eraser does. It needs the little neural machine learning cores that are on ARM chips. ARM chips are way ahead of the curve in giving consumers neural core machine learning processing on device. Intel and AMD are way behind on getting that kind of machine learning hardware into consumer consumer products. So eventually I think event, this is going to roll out to newer machines and I bet you Microsoft will eventually figure out, hey, if they're running like a, a laptop, a gaming laptop, and it's got like a 4060 in, inside the laptop, this should totally be able to use the 4060's GPU compute to do this kind of AI machine learning content fill. But as their first push, the most consistent hardware that has access to that type of processing is an ARM chip, is a Windows on ARM chip, a little Snapdragon 8CX we've been told is so underpowered and it can't do anything. And why wouldn't you just buy a core i7 and get way worse battery life? But there are reasons why we use little arm chips for certain types of consumer needs. And if we don't accurately demonstrate what that looks like, consumers end up buying products that don't really fit their needs, but they were told, well, you needed it to be more powerful or uh, it's not going to support this software from 10 years ago if you need to support a legacy app. And it doesn't make any sense. If you can get your work done on a Chromebook, then you can also probably get your work done on an Android phone with a desktop mode. And you can probably also get your work done on a MacBook. And you can probably also get your work done on Windows on ARM. We've moved on. There are obviously some corporate issues, like companies that put out software for like I don't know, Windows 7, and it hasn't been updated. And so now you've got to like, oh, we've got to run this in compatibility mode. And it gets funky when you try and run it on Windows on ARM. And there's definitely some issues with like content creator software. Adobe sucks at updating their their lineup of apps 
that's definitely going to be a stumbling block. But everything else, if you can look at the services that are available to you, you can find a solution to get your work done. And you'd also get the benefits of having an ARM chip in a, in a little laptop. So I know I've gone on that rant a bunch of times, but I've got this video. The video got buried. You can't tell me 1% of my audience is interested in seeing, actually seeing the differences between AI tools from Microsoft and AI tools from Google in a practical head-to-head demonstration. That makes zero sense to me. Or if that's true, then we are totally lost. It's game over for us as a species. If literally 1% of my total subscriber base is all that cares about competition in the AI scene and what cool things you can do with a, with a new plugin, like a content-aware eraser tool that does offline generative fill, it's time to retire. It's time to pack it all up and just get out because I, I, I don't want to talk to people that don't care about cool stuff and only want to talk about what's already trendingly popular because an AI search algorithm said it was popular. The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal. If you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video, you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds. For the last couple years, my work buds have been almost exclusively from Me Audio. Excellent drivers, fantastic accessories, and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at Me Audio for custom molded ear tips. Super comfy. The MX line of Pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, Pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options and they don't need to break the bank. And the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling Bluetooth earbuds, adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com. Shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at MeAudio for hooking up the promo code now. Let's get on with the show. Um, KMK0, that's a very good question. Can you run OBS on ARM? I did install OBS on my Robo and Kala, but I honestly haven't tried recording from it. I will check that out. That is a very good question. I will try to report back because um, what did I do? So a lot of the stuff that I did for video streaming with the Robo and Kala, I did, um, 
I only did through browser. So yeah, I didn't use OBS. So one of my appearances on Android Faithful, the, the replacement for All About Android, uh, it was like 110 degrees outside, and this is a west-facing wall. So at 5 o'clock, it was um, over 100 degrees in my office with the AC running. So I joined their live stream, and I couldn't use my big, beefy workstation. It was just way too hot. So I set up the Robo Incala because the Robo Incala doesn't have any fans. It doesn't even like wind up a fan noise that I would have to worry about showing up on their podcast. And I set up another softer light, not my bigger studio lights. And I had ice blocks in my cargo shorts just to survive recording their podcast. But the Robo Incala that I, when I used that, they were using, I think they were just using Zoom. At the time, I don't remember, but it was just something that I did through the browser and the Robo and Kala did great for that. So, um, I, I, uh, I think many of the OBS features will work. I would be worried. This is my hypothesis and I will test this as a, as a hypothesis. I would be worried about the consistency of the MP4 video recording encoding because if you interrupt the encoding on OBS when you end a recording and it's got to complete the MP4 file, you'll just wreck the MP4 file. It's unrecoverable. So I would be concerned that on ARM, with an x86 version of OBS, that that would be a problem. But I need to test it. I've never tried. Um, I've only gone through the browser. Um... Nick Gay, I need to ask, Juan, does your YouTube channel need to be more single-focused, like a PC channel, a phone review channel, and a lifestyle channel? Yes, YouTube only wants me to talk about Samsung and Apple. So if you talk about smartphones, they don't want you to just focus on smartphones. They want you to focus on the most popular topics in smartphones. And that's why you've seen so many tech reviewers either leave or, well, you gotta niche down. But I don't care. I don't want to niche down. I don't think of tech as just a phone, a iPhone. That is all that tech is, is uh, here is my uh, iPhone channel and we can talk about uh, iPhone. That doesn't do it for me. And I don't think anyone here in this chat really cares if like I'm only focusing on one product from one company or one manufacturer. I think tech needs to be discussed in a very holistic sense. Because that, that's why we keep missing. So many consumers out there own multiple computers when they don't need to. Their needs are totally covered by the compute power in a phone. So why can't we give them the tools to use their phone to cover those other uh, aspects that they have a tablet or a desktop or a laptop to use when they don't need to buy those things? But if I only have a phone channel and I only talk about the phone channel with the phone things... We don't get that same sense of, of broad tech adoption, broad tech support. Also, if I try and start another YouTube channel right now, it's not going to go anywhere. TK and I put out weekly podcasts. We, I mean, this is streaming up on YouTube. We do best of our week on YouTube. Um, we had bigger plans to really try and like, hey, let's make this uh, more of a component of e you know each of our conversations and we can plug this into other things and maybe we can talk about a company uh, picking up the podcast and we can do like some sponsorships or some licensing, something like that. And this doesn't grow. It doesn't grow. I, I get more growth on Twitch 
from my weekly podcast than I do on YouTube with TK also contributing and, and, and also working together and collaborating and doing all that stuff. If I start a new channel today, it's not going to go anywhere because I'm not already famous. If I were already famous, like if I were Will Smith eating spaghetti, I could go get 20 million views on my first video. And then that channel, it would hit all the metrics and YouTube would say, yes, let's give them the fire hose access to the people who subscribe to their channel. YouTube isn't doing that for your sort of grinder. I, like, I feel like a rounder, you know, rounders, you know, the movie rounders, like I'm just sitting there grinding out, you know, little paydays playing poker. And, and like, that's what it feels like. We don't get access to our audience. And because I don't get access to my audience, YouTube decides whenever someone might get to see one of my videos there is zero, zero incentive to start a separate PC review channel and a separate tablet review channel. That is so much more work. Because you think like, oh, well, you're just going to put out the video and then, you know, you're going to do the same thing on social media. But no, I've got to grow that channel. Because if I just do the same things that I'm doing now with the audience that I've already established, that channel's never going to do anything. So the shortcut would be, well, I guess if I just pay Google lots and lots and lots of money, then they could run ads for my channel and other people might see my channel. But that's all garbage, speculative uh, traffic too. It doesn't, it doesn't create any relationship between me and the people who might care to see that comment. The solution we had was coming up with playlists. So I still, I, I actually went through and I scrubbed out all my old playlists and I'm putting together new ones that are just broad. I've got a phone playlist. I've got a a PC and tablet playlist. I've got an audio gear playlist. And as soon as I've, I've got to do a wearable playlist, like for uh, smartwatches and health trackers and stuff like that. And then I'll start promoting the RSS feeds of those playlists. But if you only want to see me talk about phones, there's a way to do that. Google should be empowering you to know about those channel playlists. But when you go to YouTube, especially in the YouTube app, you don't see that. Like, so if I only want to see GPU reviews from Hardware Unboxed, I have to go several menus deep to find the playlists, see the organization, what playlist was most recently updated. It's never in any consistent order. YouTube is actively hostile now to using playlists as the way to do what you're talking about, where you can kind of refine the, um, the, the video topics from a single creator. Six years ago, my playlists did incredible traffic because I, I used to do like manufacturer playlists. Everything I ever said about Samsung, yeah, that playlist used to do amazing traffic. Everything I ever said about Apple, that playlist used to do amazing traffic. And then Google cut that support and all of that traffic to the playlists sort of vanished. Sorry. I got cranky again. <laughs> oh, Michael Corkin, don't you get me started. On our Android, the, some were complaining about the video being 30 minutes. These people have no attention spans. So uh, there are also people over on Lemmy, uh, you know, the Reddit clone, the federated Reddit clone. And you're like, 
I can't sit down and explain to you why a video comparing these two things should, should be like 20 minutes long. It's like 30 minutes, I think, with me doing like an intro and an outro. Because like you can't go into an AI tool and just say, this one does this better and this one, it just works. Thanks for subscribing. Hit that thumbs up button and make sure you smash the bell icon. Love you. Bye. Because you actually need to show what it's doing in different situations. And so I did a real-time setup. I did a real-time, like, I am taking out stuff in grass or I am trying to edit a branch that I think is distracting from this thing because every one of those things is a different situation. And then you can see Magic Eraser is actually really good at this. And Google, uh, Microsoft's Photos is really good at that. That's how raw our AI tools are and why you need to be able to show the back and forth of why these things are the way they are. But yeah, this is another reason why, not only for just Reddit in general, but our Android specifically is an absolute waste of anyone's time. The, the, the way that that, uh, that subreddit has always been managed has been openly hostile to creators that would want to share one of their own videos. And then the topic discussion is really, really ratcheted in a way that is echo chambery that I don't think the people participating fully understand why they're complaining about stuff. If anyone is ever inclined to help or support or share, I greatly appreciate those efforts. Literally anything. You post one of my videos on Facebook or you share it on Twitter or you hit me up on threads. Anything. Anything is appreciated. But I can handily say if one of my, if none of my videos ever went to Reddit or Android ever again, I would be so happy. I never get any beneficial conversation from when I see one of my videos blow up on our Android. It's almost always what I see in like my YouTube comments. What I get is just the ire of people remembering I exist and that I don't like Samsung. <laughs> like I've got the OnePlus Watch 2 video out now and I've had so many comments from Samsung tryhards. I don't see any reason why I would want to switch from my Galaxy Watch 6. Yeah, because it's a brand new Galaxy Watch, dude. You've got a good watch. Go enjoy it. But this was not a, even the tone of my video was not a let's debate the Samsung bros kind of tone. My tone on the Xiaomi 14 is a lot more of a Samsung is embarrassed by the Xiaomi 14. But the Galaxy Watch is a great watch. I'm not going to sit there and fight it. I just can't use all the features of a Galaxy Watch on my OnePlus. So I'm not going to wear a Galaxy Watch. That's it. That's the main reason I'm not sporting a Galaxy Galaxy Watch 6. Game over. But even in that, like, I can't put out a OnePlus video without someone coming up to say, but you didn't tell me why it's, why my Samsung watch is better. (laughs) It's like, because that wasn't the point of a review. (laughs) And Michael Peppertech, yeah, I've been glad to see it. Your last videos have been fire, dude. Um, Michael Pepper says, I've decided that the IDGAF approach for making contact content has done better than trying to focus content and spend time editing everything to perfect it. Open up the conversation, keep it kind of raw, and leave the opportunities for people to contribute to a discussion. And it is more satisfying. 
I find it's more satisfying to have this raw video and open up the start. My video on the Xiaomi 14 is not the conclusive end-all be-all decision on what I think about the Xiaomi 14. I am actively, earnestly trying to get people to say, but what about this? Or how does it handle that? Or all the wonderful questions that I've gotten in this chat today. That is what I feel is valuable. That's what I want to do. And YouTube is the single biggest obstacle <laughs> to me having that discussion now. Uh, sorry, let me take another drink of water and then we got to close this down. I am running way long this week and I've got a lot of editing due to fix up all that mic nonsense. Yeah, Nation Harris. Funnily, you should say that. My cousin was saying he needs to give up TikTok and Reels because they're killing his attention span. The more that we're self-aware of stuff like that, these platforms are programming our behaviors and the tail is wagging the dog. So there is a popularity echo chamber of something that spikes. The platform sees that it's popular. It promotes similar like content. And then we also know, especially from the Facebook side of this, the best strategy for keeping someone on your site is to kind of mess with their head, is to make them miserable. And that is bad for your mental health. If you make your own YouTube with an RSS feed reader, and populate it with content creators that you know, you like, you've had a consistent experience with their content, you will get actual notifications when they put stuff out and you will be healthier and happier for having that more direct relationship with the content creator. The content creator will have a more direct relationship with you. And you can even go that one better. I, like TK Bay, I think, has like a, an RSS feed for a blog. It's not like he writes stuff on his blog. It's just a place for his videos to live, to be embedded. Same thing, somegadgetguy.com. You could avoid YouTube contents and we could have... Do you know how happy I would be to see con comments on somegadgetguy.com? That's where I'd much rather have a conversation. I, I would so much rather... Or, I mean, again, the Patreon is paywalled, but I will live in the comments there, I am increasingly ignoring the content, the, the comments from YouTube. It, it is becoming that toxic to all of our mental health <laughs> to participate in the places that are kind of the worst. <laughs> yep, Dave Burns, I got banned on our Android for sharing a video from Juan. And again, and if you care about your Reddit karma, it's just better for you if you don't share it. Seriously, do not put my stuff up on our Android. It is not good for you. It is not good for me. And they don't seem to want to join what kinds of conversations we would like to have. So I'm actively imploring people, if you would like to help, a share, a like, a thumbs up, a comment across social media, especially a share on the social media platform of your choice. You should be using Mastodon. Um... Hugely appreciated. It really, really is just a wonderful thing to know that you took a second out of your day to make the effort to hit that share button. I, I cannot thank you enough. Please avoid Reddit like the plague, especially given their recent business turn and strategies and how they're going to sell off all of your data. Don't support them. Don't help them rip you off so they can make hundreds of millions of dollars on your efforts. 
go support places that will reward you with an empowered experience and not take tools away from you. And you will be happier for it. You will get less of the immediate dopamine hit reaction that you get from firing up TikTok, but you will be so much happier in the long run. I promise you, it really does work. The more time I spend away from Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and threads, I am a better person for it. (laughs) And you can see how ratcheted I am right now. Um, I just clicked the button on my mouse that turned up the accuracy way too high. (laughs) Yeah, Michael Pepper Tech, just sitting down and talking about a topic or what it's been like switching things up and how to make certain things easier. it's, It's really nice. Actually, I should probably even get back to... I'm pointing a camera at my face while I walk through the park, and I look like an idiot if anyone's walking near me, but it's an easier way just to talk about this thing that I wanted to talk about. So, it's pretty rough. (laughs) Nation Harris. I had someone attack me on our Android for saying, I would like Google to give users the ability to force color theme icons. (laughs) And you see, I'm enough of a take-my-ball-and-go-home kind of guy. I would never go back to our Android after an interaction like that. What do you have to glean from that quality of commentary? Uh, yeah, and Aditi Anil, this is also hilarious too. 60 million won. Remember, Google literally paid pennies for a limitless treasure trove of knowledge. So anything that you might want to to absorb or find on Reddit will eventually, and very quickly, I imagine, be available through all of your favorite Google Gemini services anyway. There is no value in continuing to support Twitter or Reddit today. So folks, we got to wrap this up. This one... I I was all fired up and I had all of the nervous, anxious, anxiety energy from lack of sleep. And uh, we fell apart at the beginning of the podcast. I did not stick the landing on just getting that, keeping that headspace up. But I feel we, we powered through a lot of really heavy stuff to talk about, some really fun stuff to talk about. Really love that TK showed up. Please catch all of TK's videos coming from MWC. Um, Just some really, really, really cool stuff that he's getting the chance to go and play with. He's taking the time to fly out to Barcelona and be on the ground to show this stuff off. If you want to support good content, you want to give shares to people who are really putting in the effort and the energy and aren't just clickbaiting terrible recycled regurgitated AI content like better homes and gardens TK Bay there's an example he's doing he's doing the work with boots on the ground I think we need to go out there and support him and support him across every social media platform that we might have some some access to or some influence over so uh, on top of that we're gonna be a bunch of people streaming all week um, we've got a bunch of people in this chat right now who are putting out great content and having fun interactions. Dave Burns is screaming to notice him. So I have noticed you, Dave, but Dave and I love to talk politics of Ron Mastodon on top of our normal tech conversation as well. So, um, 
huge stuff. We've got uh, Gadget Goddess. We've got Easy Computer Solutions, The Tech Preacher. We've got Ike. Ike was in here helping me troubleshoot my microphone. Ike's Tech Talk. Ike is the chillest dude in tech. He's like the best friend you've had just to kind of pal around, eat some Doritos with, and talk about nerdy camera gaming and basketball stuff. If you're not following Ike, you're missing out on one of the best ways to wrap your Thursday evening. TK and I will be back to talk about best of our week. We've got Barry Johnson. We've got Michael Peppertech shaking up his videos. You want to nerd out with a really, really fun geek? There are some people out there doing the work. And you know what? YouTube is not helping them out. YouTube is keeping you from some really great content. So I hope you'll spread the love. That was always the mission when I was on Reddit was not just downvoting things into oblivion. It was instead trying to lift us all up. We want to share the love. And I'll catch you back here next week for a pajama podcast that I sorely needed a pajama podcast. And we're not going to talk about heavy duty tech stuff. I, I will probably recount how I finally am wrapping up RoboCop Rogue City. How about we talk about games we're playing or movies we're watching or just anything else? Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll save that for next Monday. Folks, if I can be anything else as we close out this ludicrously long podcast, let me be the example of taking care of your mental health. Because I don't think I'm being a very good example of taking care of your mental health. So we can use me as the example of what not to do. (laughs) Um... Take care of yourselves so you can keep being the good tech neighbors that I know you are. Take care of yourselves so you can keep taking care of others because you need it and everyone else needs it. And there are so few of us that are trying to make that a part of the mission. So uh, I'll catch you back here next week. Uh, Be safe. Take care. I love you all. And I'll catch you back. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today.